And we are live. All right. Do it, Zach. All right. What's up, everybody? Welcome to the first podcast. This is Expanded Understanding. This is Aaron, and I am Zach, and we are your standard hosts. We will normally have guests on here and a lot of interaction with the community, but for tonight, we'll be starting with just us, and we're going to talk about astral energies and ways that we interface with those inside of our life. Both Aaron and myself have a vast range of experience of different ways of interfacing with these things. And we're happy to take any questions that you have if you're here with us live, or we will just kind of dive into our own experiences. So first and foremost, like uh, Aaron, what I would like to ask you is, as far as like these energies go, what do you feel is the primary way that you experience those? Like, how do you feel those most commonly in your life? Yeah. Okay. So this is interesting too. Cause I wonder if this is what, uh, an empathetic or empathic, uh, dynamic is like, because most of my dynamics growing up have been very intuitive, right. Or sensations in the body then with visual imagery in my own mind's eye, right. My own imagination, but having, right. I think being able to go, uh, several years ago, really making a major breakthrough in, um, the thing I, we were talking about the other night. So, somebody who in the Christian paradigm who saw angels and was working with angels all the time and listened to interviews with him and different dynamics. And the dynamics made sense, the actual like fascinating dynamics with angels beyond just, you know, maybe the cliche stuff people have heard about and um, a lot of those interactions. And I remember the interviewer asking him, um, so is this for this, for the sake of the people listening, is this in your mind's eye or are you actually like seeing these things? Cause you talk about them, you know, and that an angel's here and we talked and we did this and we did Mm -hmm. that. And like, and, uh, and he, his immediate response was not, not, not offended at all. Like not in that way, but it just was like really a deep response that really struck me was, does it matter? Sure. Right. You know, like, does it matter? Because if you yeah. know that, you know, something is there on the other side and you're communicating with, does it matter if you can see it? If you know, and can feel in your body, you can hear a different frequency or different voice inside of your own soul or in your mind or, right. in your, you know, whatever, then does it matter if you can't see it? Yeah, if you're you know, experiencing so, it, is it part of your experience or is it not? Right? Yeah, as opposed to seeing it necessarily being the crutch, but are you experiencing sure. it or not? Or how are you experiencing it? Sure. Yeah, so I think so. I think everything, the more, um, so there's just been layers like throughout life. As more, the more I, be, I began to understand, like one, how real my imagination is, right? You're creating your reality that mm-hmm. even with, uh, things in life that we visualize it, even though we don't realize it, you know, you visualize um, everything and we just, you know, create a picture in our minds that we then draw energy from or draws energy from us, you know? Sure. Sure. So, yeah. um, Yeah. Go ahead. So as far, as far as that goes, like given, you know, right now the world's in a very interesting place. And I think a lot of people are experiencing energies that are, we could just say confusing at the least, like they maybe don't know what to make of it or it feels like a lot or it feels very different. And so when we're in a position like that, how do you feel that this imagination or the ability to kind of put what we're feeling into our mind's eye, how does that play into our life? Um, okay, so I guess in the same way you're asking, just uh, how do you deal with the craziness going on and stay centered also? And just connecting it to the last thing I was saying, we were asking, I'm assuming. Um, uh, sure, broadly, I think we do want to get to like, how do you deal with that? But more conceptually speaking, do you think, it, it, how do you, how important do you feel it is that like our perception, what we're sculpting in our mind's eye based off of the energies that we're feeling 
how much do you feel that that in influences how our life goes? Oh, sure. Yeah. So I don't know. So it's interesting. So I'm sure people uh, envision things differently or they experience things differently. But I know like, um, OK, so so for me, the more the more viscerally sensory, if that makes sense, it is the, the more <laughs> meaningful it is to like my own physiology, sure. to my own chemi chemical release for positive, uh, you know, endorphins and serotonin and whatever and all that, all the things that happen when you do practices like the, the Taoist practice of the inward smile. Right, that you're smiling at every one of your organs, and you're, you're visualizing that smiling at your heart, and that that love, and that smile. But you're visualizing it also, but it's a feeling because the smile, you know, I mean, you can't really. Okay. It's hard to. It can be weird to visualize your face going in and smiling at your organs, right? But it's more right. the feeling that that like right, uh, right. Appreci appreciation and gratitude. Yeah, kind of projecting so, that feeling of appreciation that you give with a smile in towards that visualization of that organ, right? Yeah, which is interesting because if uh, I think is that something that, that you've practiced a lot? Oh, dude, one of the most profound experiences I've ever had, this was several years ago, and I remember I was at home, and I was going into this meditation. I think I had, I was, um, so I was taking Adderall at the time, and I was, um, because of my borderline narcolepsy disorder, and uh, I would take it before I'd go take a nap, so I'd time it so it'd kick in as I'm coming out of a nap, so it'd just be a nice mm -hmm. gradual transition. And I found a lot of times as I'm waking up, I just stay in the in-between place and just my eyes closed and beautiful. I'd have music playing or something or be going into my own visualizations. I'd just stay in that place, right? And I think I was at the time, I was sitting on a, a, one of the acupuncture, you know, mats, you know, that like all over and like, and just some other little things I was doing. But I started doing that, that practice specifically. And I remember, I mean, totally sober, um, before any entheogen experiences or any of that stuff, it was the most like viscerally profound and beautiful, full, like every, every sense or organ or sensory perception thing I could possibly have. I was experiencing while I was going through that practice and it lasted like minutes. So, so you're know? just saying it was like a very, very heavy sensory experience. Right. But of the smiling at my organs, what I felt like was, right. it was like every smile I've ever sm smiled in any life I've ever existed on was amplified in that moment to like throughout my whole vessel like over and over in waves, but it was, it was from me choosing to smile at my organs, if you will. It wasn't like some sure. random outside thing or whatever. It was, it was right. massively yeah, internal a, and amazing. It was a practice of self-appreciation. Yeah. Well, that, that was so like, do you, do you feel that like a practice of self-appreciation in any way, like kind of even separates you from someone who may have a perspective that some type of energy is coming from outside? Maybe they call it like God, or maybe they call it universe or whatever it is that they call it. But do you feel that there's kind of an overlay between what there is outside and what we're really just choosing to do inside? Are those the same thing? Are those different things? How do you feel about that? Um, yeah. So I think, so it's all centered, right? So if you're centered in you, then whatever situation you encounter, you can encounter, you can actually sure. deal with and process it and make a decision about it. Uh -huh. And so if we know there's a separation between our nervous system and our soul, if you will, your nervous system is going to react. You know, if something comes out you might, you know, piss your pants a little bit or whatever. Your nervous system might react. But if, at a core level, knowing more of who you are and being more seated in life and in this body and whatever it is that you're doing, then that is able to come forward. And then you can calm yourself and actually make decisions instead of reacting. Then you can choose to respond. I think that's probably the primary difference in those two. And then self-appreciation. I think it's all a part of it. But just knowing, knowing who you are in any situation that you can you're going to be able to handle any situation. Sure. 
Yeah. When you say that you're going to be able to handle any situation, do you feel that that, how do you feel that a person comes, uh, comes about having that feeling that they can handle any situation? Is it about collecting tools? Is it about trusting? What, what is it that allows a person to feel like they can handle any situation to you? Well, let me ask, ask you that question. You answer that. What do you think? Well, I think, I mean, I personally think it comes from definitely a little bit of both, you know, like you may have a lot of tools, but if you don't have the ability to trust your tools, then you may not feel like you have enough tools. And then you don't have that confidence in the situation. I think if you want to have a, so you kind of have like an illogical and a logical side to it. Illogically, you need to trust the tools that you have are going to be capable of doing their jobs logically you need to have enough tools to be able to do the jobs you know i mean i can believe in my own work ethic to dig a hole but i'm actually conceptualizing something completely different if i have a shovel or a backhoe or i'm going to use just my my own hands it's completely different things i may choose to extend the trust that if i decide there's a hole that needs to be dug i'm going to get it done regardless of the tools i have but if i have a backhoe and i need a six foot deep hole like that's easy you know what I mean? Right. Yeah, yeah. So I think we definitely do need both of them in order to sculpt that confidence. I think this is why it's really important to really like step into our fears a lot of time. Or like if you do fear something, step into it without fear. It's really kind of more how I would put it. Really just because what you're going after is the novel experience. I think a lot of times we fear the novel experience. And I think carrying over into astral energies a lot of the times we fear novel energies and we experience that fear in a way that feels like maybe oppression or it feels heavy or overwhelming or that we got disempowered in some way. Really, what well, if we're going fear and we're going fear-love duality, this is functioning like a fear response and maybe we're having a fear response to a new energy that we're just not really used to. And if we're really trying to expand ourselves or unify to bring things together into coherence as one world peace is the idea of bringing everybody into coherence as one so functionally on really every dimensionality most people at least at some level posture that they're seeking this so if we're trying to bring that all together then we have to not avoid the fear response because it tries to hold the thing away we have to try and bring it together to a more loving response which means we have to engage the novel thing and go past that fear. But when we have something new coming in, because there's unknown, we may feel like we do not have the tools or we are not capable of trusting the tools that we have. And thus we choose to avoid that novelty or respond to that novelty in some way that justifies our avoidance, which is functionally a fear response. So that kind of took a tangent, but circled back. No, it's good. So like the tools dynamic. So, um, I think they're coming. So it's, so there's, we're always putting tools in our toolbox, right? There's always different ways. Like I love different, I've gotten different resins for burning incense. They all have a different smell. And when I, when I tune into that, when I'm just present with it, I can feel it affecting my physiology in different ways and like stimulating different, even epigenetic memories and expressions. So Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. they all have nuanced applications, but the, but a lot of that, the point is what is it doing inside of you? Not just in the environment around you. Cause they've no sage smoke clears, um, it's antibacterial, antiviral. And so if there's right. a link between bacteria and, you know, astral entity, astral parasites and other entities, it makes sense then why it would not only actually clean, um, your physical environment, but also clean the etherical environment. Right. Sure. But then also what does it do inside of you? For example, I know Sage externally, what it does in the environment, 
sage for sage for me personally that smell is really really potent right it's not it's not like it's not bad but it's just intense just the smell not that the way it's being done is overwhelming just the smell sure. you know but i sure. but i like a lot, a lot of everyone's anyway so there's there's tremendous amounts of tools even psychological tools like when you face certain things and asking things questions three times to verify their authenticity or the legitimacy in different realms and even in your own conversations in your own mind or meditations um but uh what, what do you mean by asking questions three times so i think i think you mentioned it the other night too we were talking about uh um well i had a friend okay share with me so in dreams for example if someone comes that you think you know or celebrity or whatever you can ask them who they are three times and after three times they either that's who they are or they have to drop the veil and see who it is and it's not even necessarily for nefarious but it's mm-hmm. it and their aspect of your subconscious or maybe it's some other entities or other dynamics going on but it's sure. asking three times a tool to help us uh, be able to assess your environment, right? More accurately, sure. a tool that helps you refine the accuracy of what you're perceiving or experiencing. And so I think, though, when we get to a place of, um, you can call it sovereignty, that you know that no matter what situation you encounter, you're, you're the tool maker. So you may not have a tool, sure. but you'll find one and you'll make one, you know? <laughs> That that brings up a whole nother side to it. Like, do you need tools and do you need trust if you just trust that you can get the tools whenever you need them? Yeah, good question. And I think <laughs> I think that's I think that's true ultimately. That like you don't all you need is self, all you need is you really internally in the moments. And then obviously we're interdependent. This isn't about isolation and it's also not about melding into random oneness and, and not dealing with our issues and melding into bliss. Like it's it's everything. It can kind of feel like it's about isolation right now. Yeah, no doubt. Huh? Yeah, especially yeah, especially without the physical contact or physical being around a lot of people. Yeah, right. it's an interesting dynamic. So it's interesting in that way too, because we were talking about this. So being isolated. So having conversations where I've had uh, several with several different people over different dynamics, and I mean Frank, Frank and I were talking about um, we've been talking about these subjects uh, throughout the week and different dynamics of epigenetic upgrades or expression increase more light coming from the sun i mean all this stuff that's happening internally for every human being regardless of belief system and i don't think it means you have to ever change your belief system mm-hmm. i think people are going to get healthier people are going to get like their bodies are going to heal like the, the the world's changing around us a lot of the corrupt stuff has been being taken care of for a while i don't think this is the apocalypse like this is all those things are it's not going to be what everybody thought it was going to be or what's what some of the ancient texts say it's going to be it's not going to be that it's christ in you it's a thousand you're you're thousand year reign of christ or the um there's there's several other traditions but talk about the thousand monks i think and the a thousand buddhas in the end time and the um but it's not just the kali yugas i think it's actually going into a whole new age and area era that we've never been in before sure. right? we've so, covered so, a lot of covered a lot of ground right there like some of these these people like everyone does kind of have their own story and maybe they feel that that is exactly what's going to happen and that everything right now is pointing towards it you know what, right. do, you, what do you say to that person Okay, so one, teach their own. I'm not, you don't have to believe anything. You can believe whatever sure. you want. For me, like uh, the more I've put like gone to my own intuition over it, the research I've done, the things I've found over years, just feeling the it's really just feeling to deeply feeling where the world is really at or whatever that means. Feeling like the probabilities of the timelines that we're creating every moment by anchoring them in just through choices and awareness because of morphogenic fields and that whole dynamic, that the ones that are green disaster 
can only come if they're anchored in, if people believe they're going to happen. Now, I know there's facts to support it. You look at all the pedophilia rings and all the different stuff gone on and all the all the stuff that's gone on the last four years. Like, I'm almost over all of it. Like, the whole truther stuff, I'm almost, like, shifting into, okay, let, what do we do now? Like, how do we be awesome sure. human beings and live in this world now? Um, and so, um, actually... Now, when, when you say that, how, how do we be awesome human beings and live in this world now? There's a question in the chat right now about asking for you to elaborate on the Christ in you. And you, do you kind of feel that there's crossover between that, that, you know, part of being that best thing that you can be in the world, does that correlate to the idea of the Christ in you? Or can you elaborate on that? Yeah, so... Um, Okay, so coming from the Christian paradigm, and beautifully, and I, I've said this all in my other videos, but I feel like, you know, depending on who's watching that, just, uh, it's important to note. Um, I love everybody in there. I love the people I've found in the Christian church. They're still amazing human beings and great. And through my research and my own internal exploration and study, I found things that move me deeper into the Christian paradigm, all the extra biblical texts, the original Hebrew, the Paleo Hebrew, the original languages, the original like traditions, the oral traditions, like the whole a whole gamut of things that even as passionate of as Christian as I was up until the last three or four years, five years, I had no idea about those other things, right? I never explored them. So exploring all of that, using that, the archetypes and the paradigms within the Christian realm and the Son, the Father, the Holy Spirit, developing those relationships inside of me, there were relationships so I realized there's a point that I realized like it just through this whole process over a long period of time as I was just progressing and understanding deeper things. And but I didn't have it's like monkey bars, right? I didn't have another paradigm to swing into to let go of Christianity because that framework worked. Right. I, right. I was finding healing and wholeness in myself, becoming a better human being in all the ways, you know, and dealing with traumas. There's incredible Christian ministries. There's um loving you know just loving people like all that was working really really well with dealing with my issues and anything um negative those frameworks work so why would you want to give them up you know mm -hmm. but then that deeper draw or calling that there's just there's more i know there's more right and then, then you find the pathways the dots that show you oh yeah there really is more you know there really is more outside of it so the christ in christ in you it says in um what is it romans that in romans i think that um those who are those who are led by their flesh, that they produce uh, wicked deeds, right? Malice, anger, bitterness, envy, rage, hatred, you know, all that stuff. But those who are led by the spirit. Now, it says the spirit in the Bible. The implication is the Holy Spirit. We can call it great spirit. You can call it your own spirit. To, to me, it's our own spirits, our own higher selves, our own soul that's done this lifetime many, many or done this incarnating thing many, many, many times. So there's a there's a collective cloud of you without the, all that wisdom that's stored quantumly also right now that's parallel existing as we're having this lifetime now so being able to access that dynamic it says when you follow the, the the spirit the leading the spirit the fruits of the spirit are produced in your life love joy peace patience kindness goodness gentleness faithfulness and self-control and against there's those things there is no law right so if you're led by the spirit that you don't you don't need the construct of the laws and all those other things christians know this in the christian church too the difference is it's because of Christ in them, an external being who now is inside of them and they're in that mm -hmm. thought process. But to me, if you just look at the text differently, it, it's constantly interchanging. It's you, Christ in you and you in Christ, Christ in you, you in Christ, you in Christ, Christ in you, because it's you. Right. right. When you go somewhere and you speak and demons saying. leave, they say, mm -hmm. well, Jesus did it. Yeah, but you spoke, man. <laughs> like, right. We did it through. He did it through right. me. OK. Like, but I, your okay. spirit, did, I, I don't know. It's, it's you who did it. I feel like, so you know, I, like I, I have, I have a potentially inflammatory question raised mm -hmm. by the person who 
writes in the chat that they say at the end of it, they, they clearly know you. And at the end of it, they say, come home. Do you feel like you've ever actually left home? Yeah. And Kevin and Katie, I love you, by the way. I haven't talked to you in a long time. And I, that's the hardest thing, I think, for people, the conversations I've had, that it's, I haven't gone anywhere. It's still Christ in me. I'm still the same person. It's just, I've, I guess, expanded my understanding of what that inner standing even of what that means. And so, like, I would love to talk. Please message me if you guys want to chat and talk more because there's more to be discussed. So it, to just write me off as being deceived in this whole, I just, it's too oversimplified. Fair enough. I mean, I think that's the thing, too. I think if, if we say, like, there's one way that's home, I mean, you know, whatever religion you happen to follow or ideology, there's at some point in time where the thing that we're really focusing towards is the all. It's omniscient. It's omnipresent. It's all the stuff, wherever you get with it. Source, universe, Buddha. It can be the Hindu trimurti. It doesn't matter. It always ends up being the all. God, same thing. So if yeah. that is true, how can we not be home? Hmm. I like to think of um, so that my, my safe space, right, in meditation or antigen experiences or just whatever, like when I need to go to my safe space, like I just need everything out and I need to be totally 100% balanced and just no worries, right? That's um, for me, it's womb space or in the heart, but in the womb. Mm -hmm. And so I, just that visualization of being in the mother's womb, interdimensional fluids around. And I've had some experiences um in the past on dmt where i was in the womb i was back in the womb the whole interdimensional dynamic and it, it was the most here's here's a really interesting experience to share um so it was this night where i was around the fire uh with some really good friends of mine and uh the two of us were left there and i ended up smoking some dmt around the fire allegedly and um the first the first time it sent me into this place that was like living hell, but around the fire still, like my whole consciousness was like being tormented through hell. Right. Now, mind you, I've had many experiences. Prior to this point, it was awful. I had many prior to this point, I had many after. So this is like in the midst of many experiences. It wasn't just like my one experience. And let me tell you how awful it was. I'll give you a context. And like, I'll tell you why it makes sense to me. And it's a beautiful story. But in the time I remember being present, just it's like being sucked into a black hole. You know, it is going to happen. I have just enough like pull to be like, okay, make sure he's over there. Tell him, just keep an eye on me. So I don't, you know, do anything dumb, like go on the fire. Right. Sure. But I, but in, that just sounds like sure a bad idea. Present. Yeah. No kidding. Not like I, just from whatever was going on. And then I, then I went into it and I remember this whole experience. And as I was um, coming back to just like realizing I have a body and I have hands and this is how they work. And like, you know, all that was coming back right after this. Mm -hmm so intense and i was like screw that i'm going in again i am not ending on some awful experience i will never do that again if i don't do it again right now right it's kind of the idea that they say in ranching if you get bucked off the horse the most important thing to do is just get right back on it otherwise you might not ever ride again and so i did and this time though oh, i went so i ended up being just like um and this is all intentional. It's conscious. I think going conscious and do these things. Like I'm, I'm consciously aware of making these choices. It's the place I was in internally that, that made me desire to be on that, lay down the grounds, like my face on the dirt by the fire and looking into the fire. Right. And I, I felt that I was in the womb. I could see it. I could see the, the sacred geometry, the interdimensional, just, um, 
textures and patterns and overlays and I understood. I saw the different life paths. I saw the, the relationships that I had planned on making when I was here and that I have made. And ones like I just saw, like I saw all of it. It was all fluid and it was beautiful. And it was the most, um, there's a beautiful video. I had to find it. I found it like a year and a half ago or a little over a year ago. But it's uh, someplace in Japan, I think they have this museum. And it's like, it's kind of like the womb space, or I guess you could do it like an entheogen experience. Like it's the whole place, the way they have the room set up and the lights and the the floors and like, but in really beautiful, fascinating, cool ways. Mm -hmm. Right. And it's, it was kind of like, it was like that, but on a, a really profound, deeply intimate internal level. Hmm. So in here, uh, Kevin and Katie bring up again, they bring up the, you know, keep looking in the ancient Hebrew because it's true. And they, they make reference to something, I mean, they make reference to YHWY in the ancient Hebrew. I mean, that does mean something, but I think what they're talking about is YHVH, the Tetragrammaton. How, how does this relate to that? How does that relate to our astral energies? How does that relate to the Christ inside of us? Yeah, so my understanding of yod heh vav -Heh, which the most correct pronunciation that I've found is Yahweh. It's all, all vowels or vowel sounds or whatnot. Sure. Um, but and I which I've done mantras with the with the name and had really profound experiences, right? I could feel mm -hmm. things in my DNA aligning. I think Yahweh, 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 very similar to a lot of the other chants that you can chant when your when your intention is not to give your power away, away to another entity or something outside of yourself, but to speak those words and the resonance actually finds 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 resonance in your cells, like yoga. Right. You know, that there are quantum antenna positions that when you put your body into it, you can have massive somatic release, you can have all sorts of things happen. And so I think mm -hmm. that their mantra is just like any other at a at a core sound level. I do think they've been hijacked in a sense by religious paradigms that want to strictly bind it all down and say it has to be done this way and this is what it means. And when they only, I'm, and I'm sorry, but to all my Christian friends, when you only choose 66 books or the only legitimate books, they're, they're just, it's just not true. <laughs> There's so many other legitimate books. I mean, books a, a bounding of something and a restriction of a, an amount of information is kind of the same thing, yeah? Uh, say that again. If they're if they're restricting the amount of canon that's about something, then it, right. that's that kind of in and of itself insinuates that it's at least limiting at some level, right? Like that's not to say that through their methodologies they cannot achieve a profound experience where they live an extremely successful life and it's everything they ever wanted it to be. But if there's some part that it's leaving out, then there's some part that it's leaving out. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, it's just, it's the mindset, it's the paradigm. I understood when I was inside that paradigm that that 66 books had all the answers that you could find, that they were relevant mm -hmm. to this life, right? Another acronym, basic instructions before before leaving Earth. It's one of the acronyms for it, but it, which I, I appreciate because I would agree. Basic instructions, meaning there's a whole lot more than just what's found in those books and beyond just what's in the books, any book, any text, but the text, the other extra biblical texts, like the Nagamani texts are excellent, probably the best gospel I've ever read, the most holistic paradigm conveying gospel for a human being to hear and think about and process, masculine, feminine, all that stuff, is the Essene Gospel of Peace. And he spends a tremendous amount of time describing beautifully our relationship with the mother and our bodies, because our bodies are of mm -hmm. her. And so it adds the whole other aspect that isn't in Christianity, blatantly. It's not in the text so much the feminine, like it's Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the amorphous Holy sure. Spirit, when it's actually a feminine pronoun, the Shekinah or Shekinah, right? Mm -hmm. So it's, they, but if you say that, that's heresy with Christians. No, 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 that's not what it is. Like, yeah, mm -hmm. it is, man. You know, but like, um, 
And so a lot of it's how you look at it and the resting gospel piece. So he describes the relationship with the mother and what that's like in addition to the relationship with the father. Now, it seems like to me the father dynamic, the spirit, is followed the things I said earlier. It's more behavioral dynamics and your internal emotional state, right? And the body also is imperfect. Uh, you can't dissociate your body from the two. That If your body's discomfortable, it's really hard to get, you know, to chill out and get in a nice, good emotional state and whatever. Sure, sure. And so he goes into all the dynamics of the body. So there's, there's, just, a, there's just a lot more out there. That's really true. And then you find that inside of yourself. Like he talks about sun gazing in there. He talks about doing enemas to clean your sure. body. And here's here's what's fascinating. Okay. Listen to this, Kevin and Katie. So like in this text, um, he talks about that. He goes, do this, do these cleanses to purify yourselves and to keep Satan from you or to get Satan out of you. Right. And so he talks about uh, they had fasted for seven days. And then when he came back, that there was this one person who had been fasting, but he was going like going to seizures at times he's trying to throw himself into the fire that he was um this guy's uh, dangerous yeah, well he's been fasting seven days like he's going nuts he's like losing his stuff <laughs> they're saying you know and so jesus told him go get um he said go get some like milk or yogurt i don't know whatever and bring him over here and bend him like put him on his knees and lean him over the milk and he poured the milk on it, and the vapors came up and this massive parasite came up out of his mouth to eat it jesus grabbed two stones smashed its head together pulled it out of its body and he said, there's Satan. So think about I'm, that. Again. I was not aware of that story. That was a very profound story. What, so what book does, what does this come from? Which gospel? The Essene Gospel of Peace. The Essene Gospel of Peace. Do you know somewhere online where people can read that? Yeah, if I remember, I'll put a link to something. But there's, uh, there's PDFs. We'll put a link in the PDF comments thing. below the video at some point in time. You can check back later and get that. Yeah. So if you think about that, then the, everything spiritual is also physical. What is Satan? The Hasatan is the adversary. Like there's in the my understanding of the original Jewish, even now the Orthodox Jewish, they don't believe in an actual Satan. He's archetypal and metaphorical. And there are many Satans and humans sure. are very Satanic when they're not following when they're following their flesh and all those things are behaving Satanic. You know, it's sure. demon, day, day and moon. The demons sure. in us, the lower, lower chakras operating, not healing from there. And you constantly short cycle there. And then yeah. if you can get a full cycle going, right, then that's a Christ in you or being more fully present in you with all things operating as they should in balance right. and healthily. Yeah, I mean, I definitely feel that if one is so inclined, they can take this whole metaphor of Satan, the process of Jesus, God, and look at the entire thing as basically kind of like a Satan bad, God good, Jesus process of escalating between them. Mm, yeah. Well, because you think about that too. So, like, you just went down to the bowels of hell, and they've done, there's some videos that do a great job on it showing the actual terminology. There's a book um, written in 1919 by a doctor, George something, but it's called. Um, uh, We're getting very precise here, folks. It's Dr. George something. You can check that out on Google. Yeah, <laughs> it's got a lot of good yeah, books. Dr. George something. <laughs> it's written like 1919. It's called, like, uh, the God Man, God. The, God, man made flesh. I don't know, but it, he breaks down the anatomy. He breaks down the metaphors in the Bible, and how accurate it is. Like he gets, you know, people, a lot of people have heard about um, Jacob's ladder and the pineal gland, and you know, the thirty-three sure. spinal column and all that stuff. But that's also a metaphor for your cerebral spinal fluid and moving through your actual energy system, being working angels ascending and descending, meaning you're not just going up here and living in bliss and being some weird, 
you know, voodoo or voodoo, some weird uh, guru teacher that's dissociated from an actual real life experience, you know, because sure. they, they just then chill up here. So it's the it's being able to be fully present, experience, enjoy everything in life, but yeah. balance. So you're not going into rage and, and going in places that, you know, that destroy your life or take you off of places that you don't want to be. Sure. And looking at that way of, you know, this Jacob's Ladder metaphor again, do you feel that that kind of has crossover into the idea of the, the Christ in you as well? Because these stories are very close to one another. Right. Um, okay. So, yeah. So I realized at one point, because had, I've had dialogues my whole life, most of my life with the Father and with Jesus and with the Holy Spirit. They're different resonances. They're different dialogues or different relationships within that paradigm. Right. Mm-hmm. And so um, I began to realize like that what had happened. So I was born into a culture where I was going to be raised in Christianity. So my my higher self, if you will, had to put on the glove of the Father and of Jesus and of the Holy Spirit so that it could relate to me. It could talk to me so I could trust it. Right. Or me. Sure. Trust me. The me that came out here before I lost my memories going through the will and that whole thing. And so the whole birth thing. <laughs> yeah, that whole birth thing, which is a whole other thing, man. I've got I had. Uh, um, oh, what I realized to connect back that that uh, experience I was talking about earlier. So at the end of that being in the womb space um, dynamic, right at the end, as I was kind of landing and kind of coming back, I was. But I remember looking in the fire, and there's this this little triangle portal thing in the fire fire, and I realized that's where I just that's where I was about to go. But that's where I went in my experience that happened just prior. I was literally being birthed. That whole fire oh. experience was me being birthed. That was birth neurological birth trauma. Wow. Okay, so in, in birth, I was a forceps baby, one of like 0.4% or something back in 86. Okay. I was also, um, my collarbone was broken coming out of the womb because I couldn't wow. get my shoulders out or whatever. So oh, like, yeah, they were basically read, ripping me out of there. Right. And I've, I've had uh, um, read Janice Barcello's book about birth traumas. I mean, mm-hmm. she cites, she has like 750 sources cited in there. You get in and see the system that we have set up now is you can call it satanic. I mean, it is in the way that we have no idea the damage we're doing and how poorly we're treating humans in the birthing process. Even like we, I mean, the general person doesn't obviously at some level, they either got really ignorant or really malicious, which is a whole other dynamic for another time. But like, um, yeah, there's a lot there. There's a lot too for birth traumas thing that people don't realize. You know, that's why womb space for me is, is really healing because it's going back to the beginning of this incarnation. So every time I go there, I'm also I'm also snapping the string between the present and and there and finding anything between there and now that's out of resonance or needs to be healed or whatever sure. every time I go there. So April in chat says that she believes that we should birth in water. How do you feel about that with the with the birth traumas and how we're doing it now? Is you think water births are better? Well, now that I'm a man and we're two guys and you're talking about how women should birth, yes, let me give my opinion. Oh, this is just this is just a male's <laughs> opinion on it. You know, what I mean, that yeah, is, nobody's true. nobody's right. You know, what you if yeah. the girl's having a baby, should have the baby however the hell she wants to have the baby is her baby. Yeah. But you know, like as far there's not you don't have to come at it directly from a physiological standpoint. We have a lot no, of no. you know symbolic role of I'm water I'll, inside I'll of all kinds of, of things. Yeah, totally. So like um. Yeah, so water makes sense. It's a more smooth transition, right? Water mm-hmm. to water. And then you come up out of the water because your mom, mom's physical hands or dad or whatever family is there to physically touch you and pull you out of the water. I mean, imagine the first time most of us are touched in a first world country. It's with plastic gloves coming out of the womb, right? Sure, yeah. And so, yeah. and also that um, our, our uh, umbilical cord, it can go up to four days with when the baby comes out before they need to cut the umbilical cord. When it's finally done pumping life, 
to the baby, then it goes gray and, and white and whatever, and you can cut it. But until yeah, then, how, you're do you, creating, do you you're happen creating to have another any idea? trauma. We usually, do we cut it like right away? I don't, we cut I, it like right I, away, right? I don't I really know. so. I don't know that if anybody knows, you know, feel free to let us know. We don't really know anything about having kids because, you know, like we're know, guys. I've, so I've, yeah, I haven't had, I mean, I've been in the hospital and watched anything, you know, in my, my life, but like, um, I mean, I've read enough. To yeah. See okay. There's, they say that we, we do, we, we cut it right away. It makes sense that it would still have some kind of connection. I mean, like if it comes out still connected, it might still be doing something right. Like, I mean, right, so, I, I don't so know anything about this, but it seems sensible. Yeah, so think about if the placenta, I think, is still internal. So it's still giving the life force or life beat to the child. Now the child's on the mother's chest, yeah. hearing your mother's heartbeat from the outside. They just heard it from the inside. They're still getting fed from the inside while they're on the outside. Yeah, that makes sense. By their mother's physical hands. Like, think about just logically how much better of a transition that would be to bring a human being into this life, just doing those simple things. But we, a lot of times we grow up not even thinking about it. We just go to the hospital yeah. and do what do and we decide you know parents decide if they're going to take an epidural or not and that's or if they're going to have a c-section or not those are kind of the biggest well i think like, we we kind of like agree to the idea or i mean many people do that just like you know like the doctor knows what they're doing right like they're probably doing the right thing to make sure that everything goes right and i think you know maybe they are to the right. best of their ability like with what they're taught and the standards that they're working with and such right well, so like, yeah, absolutely. It's not like the doctors are wicked and evil. I think it's, and it's hard, it's hard to say doctors are ignorant, but everyone's ignorant, right? Doctors are ignorant of, for example, the average, I think medical doctor gets, I think it's six hours of nutritional education in medical school. That doesn't and seem like a dead. lot. No kidding. So yeah, but they're the, they're the ones you go to, to tell them what's wrong with you and how to get yourself better. And they don't even understand. I feel like how I've studied nutrition a lot more than six hours and feel like I don't know shit about it. There's so much to learn, right? But I learned enemas and I learned that from some ancient texts, all that stuff. Sure. I learned the modern science and enemas and all sorts of stuff, urine therapy, yeah. all sorts of stuff. It's super legit, totally real. I've done all of it. We could talk about it for a long time. It's all real, man. It's it's it's, it's this DNA skin suit technology. It's just how these things work. Skin suit you know? technology. <laughs> yeah. Or we're an yeah. infinite being having experience. Samantha. In the Samantha Carlson in the chat says that she's birthed four children, and two of them are water births, and she felt that those were definitely easiest. And notes that you go to instant cuddle mode, and it's beautiful, and you wait for the cord to stop pulsating. I mean, I'm like I'm. Cool. Again, I'm not qualified for this, but that sounds a lot more natural to me. Totally. And it's cool to hear. Well, here's the thing. So check this out. Orgasmic birth is how it was supposed to be. There are many ones. You just look up on YouTube, like orgasmic birth interview or orgasmic birth. All you, I mean, all you got to do is hear like one woman talk about it and go, oh, that makes sense. I've just never heard anyone talk about that. Like, I feel like I need to go you know? listen to somebody talk about that because when you say it to me, I'm like, wow, it's totally polarized to the entire concept of labor. Okay. Yeah. So I'll, I'll oversimplify it based on my understanding. Like, cause I remember doing a few interviews and where I was grasping that paradigm and I got a few books on it and stuff, but like, um, uh, one is the paradigm going in that you're submitting to the movement with the child, that this is a okay. process of moving through. And that if it's done in a way of submission, not saying it's like hearing people done it, who've gone from my like, kids without ever even having that concept and then trying to do that with their next few kids or like the, the progression, like it wasn't necessarily that way with the next uh -huh. one or, you know, the progression in their own, their own psyche, like what they were, all this dynamics. So some of its positions, some of the more ancient positions, water birthing, there's, there's like a bunch of different ways you can like hang off your husband's neck or there are different ways that are way more efficient than laying on your back. It like massively hinders birth by laying on your back for one. Seems sensible. Um, Angles and all. Right. 
yeah, gravity, you know? <laughs> like, yeah. Geez, Just from a simple math with... perspective, it seems it seems sensible that there would be other better better positions. Right. But it also hits the weight, the weight when the baby when you're in tune with your body and the baby. And I know this is a hard conversation. It's been a hard one for my mom and you know, it's can be hard for women who've had kids because it's like one, it it can seem like um this is what you should have done or like you can leave a sense of guilt or something as if you should have done it this way. And it's like, dude, we, we do the best we can with what we know. It is what sure. it is. So when you can hear this now, it's like, uh, it's one fascinating to think about too. If you haven't had kids or plan to have another one, that seems to me fascinating to think about. Let's say, let's say they're just bad belief systems we have. Oh, it's going to hurt. Oh, I know it hurts because I already had a kid. Okay. Fair enough. That would totally that change the way experience. we look at having kids. I feel like, you know, if everybody thought like having kids was going to be the next best, good time in their life this would totally dramatically change the psychological approach to that right well and so then also they, april is saying gonna... in the chat that there apparently there's a thing out of i knew that there was orgasms that came from multiple different locations and when she says that there are uterus orgasms and so that would make so much sense and if that is a true thing that would make so much sense i suspect that it is that's crazy yeah and uh, then Samantha is also saying that it made sense for her. Uh, it helped her ease through her two all-natural water bursts and that it's about relaxing and letting the body do what it needs to do. And I really agree with the relaxing, letting the body do what it needs to do. And obviously not from birthing a child, but just from going through pain and everything in my life, whether it be a psychological pain or a difficult energetic situation or it be like I whatever, like I've screwed up my foot or something really like relaxing my body and allowing it to do what it does has really shown yeah. me a lot in my life that the body and maybe that just like kind of our technology maybe more than just a physical body but maybe other kinds of bodies as well seems to be very well equipped to deal with the thing that it's ex things that it experiences how do you feel that about just like letting the body do what it needs to do rather than it, like trying to interject in that process yeah, totally. So I think um, so. I've heard this from several people, and I've uh, and I heard this concept, and I may have developed it in my own ways, in my own visualizations. But to map mm -hmm. out your own body, to know your own body, right? So sure. when you're when you're having pains and things, to feel literally feel into it, and even right. let, even um, for lack of a better word, uh, okay, so entangle with it, and consciously entangle with the pain, sure. and then allow allow that, if even for your own sake, to come out through your mouth in a voice. Like, what is that pain? Is it angry? Is it frustrated? Is it like, I mean, if just a, a tool, a, a technique, right? Sure. Um, to anthropomorphize it in a sense, mm -hmm. to help you process the source of that energy. If it's not just physical and you got hit with the tamer on the toe, but depending on what you believe, you know, that's all related to, you know, drawing and attracting things to yourself anyway and the connecting. Yeah. You know, I might the, be crazy with the correlations, but I never have any type of physical pain that I can't draw back to something psychological and then something also in the psyche behind it. It literally never happens anymore. Uh, it might just agree. be because yep. I've gotten really good at basically making a pattern out of nothing. I don't know, but I find them everywhere. Right. And if it works, I mean, so how does that benefit you by finding patterns and all that? I mean, I feel like it benefits me massively. It's it, the more angles that we have to work on something, the the more quickly we're able to deal with it. I feel like, so if I'm able to kind of find like a a psyche or spiritual based layer, a psychological or mind based layer, and a physical and body based layer, with which I am experiencing some part of myself, 
that there's a correlation between all of them, I feel like I can really make a lot of progression or evolution or growth or something that perceives as perceives to me as making something better out of myself much more efficiently if I can come at it from more angles. So I draw the correlations between that primarily just because I think it enhances efficiency if I can look at it from very, a bunch of different angles. Yeah, totally. Completely agree. So expanding your understanding, right? Being sure. able to see additional perspectives. I think that's... Um... <clears throat> I wonder, so I'm trying to think through several concepts. I wonder if um, adding additional perspectives, being willing to add additional perspectives, right? Layers and perspectives mm -hmm, to mm -hmm. your own understanding or to even check your understanding at the door and sure. to embody, put on a new perspective like clothing, but fully embody that perspective. And I think I know at times, like, for example, when I was first starting to explore the extra biblical texts, I was terrified. I was terrified of getting deceived. I was terrified of, I just didn't know. Because right? of I, what the texts were saying, you you, had, you were what, not no, feeling no, terrified because, or what? No, no, no. Because of what the text might say. This is before actually Oh, before you even read them? Extra. Yeah, yeah. This is, <laughs> was this just because they even... might have something different in them? That's what that's what the whole thing was? I guess, right? Okay. But I, so, um, well, so, okay. So, you learn... Again, like within the Christian paradigm, I was very, very diverse. Like I wasn't like uh -huh. just constricted, bound Christian, right? Very diverse, connected with everyone, like really, you know, embodied, you know, the whole dynamic myself and being right. healed and whole and loving and all that beautiful stuff. But when it came, and, and it was finding again in within that paradigm, all the metaphors and the archetypes and the templates I needed to be successful in life, like it seemed to be working and to, to love and to forgive and like all these things, right? But then when it came to the extra biblical texts, I'd heard about them and I'd, I'd read why they weren't legitimate. Like n nobody's like crapping all over them and like it, it's that they're just delegitimizing it. So it's like, oh, I guess you could read them, but there's no point. They're not really, it doesn't matter. And you got to be careful if you do, because you got to really use discernment, whatever you could get deceived because they're not official texts. So they could have a lot of truth in there and just a little bit of lies. That makes not, it all a, away. not official texts. <laughs> right. And so. And so, but that, and that's where I know uh, earlier, Kevin and them were talking about, that's where they feel like what happened to me. I know that's what things with other people like, oh, I read the extra biblical text. Now look at me now, you know, yeah. and, but that's, that's from, that's from A to Z. Like there's a million steps in between. It's not just that. What that did sure. though, open up when I found out it was a legitimate text from that time. Like here's, here's one of the most primary um, extra biblical texts is the book of Enoch. Um is quoted by Jude in the Bible. Jude is one chapter long and he gives 30% of his real estate in the Bible to Enoch. He quotes from, okay. it says that Enoch, the seventh from Adam uh, said this, and he, he quotes two, like a two paragraphs or whatever from uh, the book of Enoch. Now the book of Enoch, I didn't even know it was a real thing that existed until I started doing research because most of the mm -hmm. Christian churches don't know. Sure. The Ethiopian church has had a copy since 400 AD and it said to go back in Ethiopic script. And then it's, uh, they had another copy. Um, but the, the book of Enoch elaborates on the whole time during the Nephilim, the fall, the fallen angels coming to earth before the flood and Enoch being okay. there. Cause in, in the Bible you get, you get a real quick blurb, right? That, uh, that, um, all men had become, become corrupted and become wicked on the earth. And God grieved that he had made them or repented right. that he had made them was said. And then, um, it said, and in those days, and in those days, and then afterwards were the Nephilim, the Bedeha Elohim, or the sons of God, or the angels, the fallen angels came, who took women and slept with women and created offspring of their own. And so in Enoch, you find out, elaborates, like, for chapters and chapters and chapters, right? That's the titans that were created, and all the mythology, were some of the first creatures created by the fallen angels coming messing with DNA down here. 
right? This is all in the text. This is in the Book of Enoch. And this now the stuff that was fascinating is it it elaborates on stuff that's already in the Bible. It does reference the Anakim, which are the Anunnaki too. They all connect, right? The giants who to we to them we were grasshoppers in their eyes is what it said. Right. right, giants in the land. So, like, they're they're in the Bible text. They just don't elaborate on it a lot. So then you find the extra these other texts that are the elaborations, and the book itself is endorsed by the authors in the Bible. So to me, like, if any Christian's going to explore outside and you know worried about getting deceived, like, that's a good one to start with because that's that's really safe material. That's the same book that Jesus knew, all the disciples knew. They, they quote if you actually this see is the right book cross of Enoch, book of Enoch. If you do the cross references, it's Jesus quotes the book of Enoch over 50 times in the New Testament okay. in the actual the, the, 66 book. The Bible. book of Enoch is it's like it's non-canonical, right? Like it's not Correct. an accepted it's not part book, of the 66. Yeah, but it does very much so seem to follow kind of the same standard as the other Gospels do. Correct. Yeah, so the Book of Enoch, the Book of Jasher, the Book of Jubilees—they're all like parallel texts to. Um, book of genesis to some of the other books in there then like here's the thing about it it's not like they're random outside the bible the bible itself mentions i think over 26 different extra biblical texts as valid like in the bible it mentions mm -hmm. other texts and i think the book of jasher it says um he's detailing out a day that happened like when the sun stood still in the sky and they won this war or whatever and if it says uh, the details are written down in the book of jasher well there's actually a book of jasher and yeah, people just don't know that, you know, like they're real today. They have one, you know, they found. Why do you think like, that those aren't in part of the accepted literature? What's your opinion on that? Yeah, I think I think at a root level, um, at a core, core, core level by the religious construct or other entities, whatever, however you want to call it, but whatever it's they don't I think they don't want to make people see they don't want people to connect the dots outside of Christianity. Right. It why really wouldn't they want people to connect story. the dots? Why, why, why put it outside of Christianity? Why not incorporate it to Christianity? Oh, yeah, they tried. Road to Romans, 2,000 years, tried to incorporate everybody into Christianity. Right. But what, well, what happened? I, I don't mean that. I mean, like, in, incorporate these other books. Why, why not incorporate yeah, yeah. it? Why is that so not we, part of Christianity? So I think, for one, like the Book of Enoch is slowly coming back into the mainstream awareness of the church because there's so much good material that just uh, up support or up uh, supports um, the biblical text, right? Because I didn't I didn't fall sure. away from the church after reading Enoch. It uh -huh. was just a part of like reading all the not just the biblical text, but <clears throat> all the other study and all the other research. He's seeing how they're all connected. And so I think yeah. at a religious level, religious institution level, the Catholics who tried to not let the Nag Hammadi text come out and they tried. There's so many texts they've just stuck in under the Vatican or have not revealed. There's there's so much information on all that. So they very Yeah, allegedly they're, very they're underneath the Vatican in some massive library or something. There's apparently yeah. all the books with all the secrets to the universe or something. We're all just oh, yeah. wasting our time. I have well, like, a certain way like a hard time believing that. <laughs> no, they, no the, well, it's not that we're wasting our time and they have the secrets. They're just they've they have. Uh, you know, contained, retained the interdimensional documents and things that can affect time. And more than that, I think it's more than just documents, right? That's it's the thing that secret governments have all around the yeah. world, all sorts of tech and all sorts of, you know, whatever. But like, as far as the, the texts go, uh, I mean, maybe it is. Yeah. But as far as the texts go, um, I think uh, uh, the, the primary reason is if you, if you get too many extra biblical texts, you see how they all overlap with every other tradition around the world. They're all telling okay. the same stories. They're all our overlap. They are right. So People it's don't like, seem to like it when far, you tell them that like, if, if they really buy into one ideology, if you tell them that their ideology, it's like, 
I, I found a lot of times in my life, like accidentally when I was younger, people would tell me about their ideology and I'm like, oh, that's a lot like Buddhism. And they're like, no, it's not. And I'm like, I mean, wh- wait, like, I'm, like <laughs> yeah. I'm trying to come together here. Like, it's the same. Like, it's cool. That's yeah. neat. And they're like, no, no, it's not. It's not anything like Buddhism at all. Actually, it's like this and Buddhism is not that. And or this is just an example. I'm not saying specifically yeah. those, but like I feel like when a person oftentimes has one of these like religions or specific ideologies that they follow, they actually have they're very uh, oftentimes quite adverse to the idea that there might be crossover between their religion and another one. Like, right? Uh, wh- wouldn't well, there be crossover between your religion and another one if your religion was truly the way and these other ones were like not the way? But I mean, you're like the whole way, so. Crossover, well, so the right? main, like, the main, yeah, the main crossover um, or hindrance, I think, with most Christians is when it's when. It, and this is my dad. I'll, I'll just revert instead of doing generic with Christians. I'll talk about the dialogues I have had with my father because he's um, him and I had dialogued a lot. He was still very much in the um, Christian paradigm, but he uh-huh. um, was able to. We, we met for like two years every morning for every. Sunday for breakfast and we go over yeah, tons it, of the stuff. If that people are about. interested in watching more of you talking with your dad, there is like a, there's a longer video on the channel of you just kind of like having a chat with your dad and you guys go into a lot of stuff about this. So like right, there, yeah. there is a longer chat on there, but sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt the story. Just, you know, shamelessly plugging the video. Yeah. Anyways. Yeah. You're, you're plugging <laughs> me. It's okay. No worries. Um, yeah, it's funny. Oh, the, since you mentioned that, oh, I, I, I look back at that one and I'm like, Oh, I feel so bad. Cause I, I remember just being, it was cool. Lots of it were fun and cool, but like, me and my dad have a, a relationship and I was trying to get into that level of our relationship on camera. And he was more in kind of like presentation mode. And so sure. I, I came off as kind of an asshole and I'm like, Oh shit. Oh, well, <laughs> sure. He's yeah, you're trying to have more, kind of be more uh, improv with him. than he was yeah, but like, um, so what was, uh, what was your point too? with it's sorry to like kind of diverge to that, but no you know, yeah. Um, what were we, yeah, okay, what were we on for that? The books and what was the other dynamic? religions crossover that's what it was okay so i think that um the main thing it comes down to like with my dad too it's still it's it's uh jesus is the only way an external jesus that you have to connect with and receive the gift he's already paid for you okay right? if we're going to really really put it into those terms not just like say a repentance prayer it's more an internal place in your heart you never know if someone's actually saved or not really because only god knows their heart right the only okay. they actually know what what place they're going into internally to come into alignment with Christ or with yourself or whatever. And right. it's in the fruit, right? That's why the fruits of the spirit are. So if you in your life, I don't, you know, are increasing in love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, like in general, we all like, so most people, the problem with like thinking we'd have a linear growth over life is just not how it works. Right. It's like this. Sure. All over, kind of but, all over but ideally, Sometimes you're going backwards and shit. Right. Yeah. But ideally, over time, you have a you know a growth curve as we learn, but it's it's all over the place. And um, so anyway, so if you're but if you have those in increasing measure in different ways in your life, like that, I would say that's pretty good evidence that you're on the right path. All those things okay. you're you know following, you're getting you're you're getting rid of the things that don't serve you. Every weight and sin and weight that easily hinders and binds and sin is just. Yeah. So here's a really cool thing about sin. Um, so in the Bible, there's three different concepts. There's uh, uh, sin, transgression, and iniquity, right? Sin doesn't send anybody to hell. Sin means to miss the mark. It's an archery term. So if you're aiming for the bullseye and you miss by a millimeter, you have sinned by a millimeter, but you sinned, right? Okay. So it's not it's not That's, this big like... Seems hard to hit. 
Right. But <laughs> but so it's not a big deal. It's like somebody saying, did, did I hit the bullseye? Right. No, you missed. You sinned. No big deal. But we, we associate gotcha. sin with like, you know, deserving of hell because you sinned or whatever. Yeah. Um, and so, uh, but sin, so sin is to miss the mark. And then transgression though, transgressions to be going to go shoot at a target or whatever, but you decide, no, nah, I don't want to play this way. And you turn, shoot your friend in the ass. Right. Sure. So yeah, you're, that's you're, trans, you're intentionally transgressing. The point was to like improve your own skill set, or I don't know, whatever. And you literally went and hurt somebody else or even just right. shot off in a tree or something. Cause you want to, so there's transgression. Then there's iniquity. Iniquity is bloodline generational transfer of, um, curses or blessings in your epigenetic expression. Right. So things that they, they can see now that are, are more prominent. In certain that sounds like witchcraft or, to me. So just, just the physiological dynamic of um, when someone lives their life in a way that is not in harmony with their environment or their own body or their own soul sure. or traumas sure. that they don't have cleared or whatever. And then you have a, have a child, they will carry on those traumas, those epigenetic expressions because they were okay. resonant in you when you had them. Okay. So, so, so where does iniquity level. come into that though? Like how, how so, these Nick curses be, and blessings, how are yeah, they yeah. applying so, those? So iniquity um, or blessings would carry on the DNA, but sometimes it's active subconsciously. I'm mean, like most people, they don't know why their life keeps going these awful cycles. They haven't found the, the subconscious or unconscious uh, patterns or belief systems or, you know, okay. things going on genetically or morphogenic fields that they reside within. And then, um, but by, by bringing conscious awareness to them, Right. So in meditation, looking for generational blessings in your DNA that just haven't been turned on yet. If 80 percent of our DNA hasn't been turned on, there's a lot to find, man. OK, so the, those those could be good things, too. When we're saying iniquity, Absolutely. like it could be good, could be bad. Or, but iniquity, iniquity is always the reference is, is generational iniquity is the negative. Right. OK. But generational blessings would be the other side of that. I, I I'd sure. rephrase it with the uh, iniquity just being the paradigm of um Carrying so on the iniquity, it would be kind of like, you know, like if you, you so sin is trying, you know, you don't hit the target, right? Transgression right. is you purposely shoot your friend and iniquity is kind of like you purposely shoot your friend's kid. Yeah. And or just purposely transgressing enough over time that it literally changes. Think about the DNA. So it's like, cause people get out of, well, how many times before I go to hell? Uh -huh. Like forget about all that shit. How many times does it take for you to repeat behaviors? Or your parents to repeat behaviors, not change them. Think about how they affect your life still to this day. There's still habit patterns you're working out because your parents never dealt with their sure, shit. I mean, I'd still do stupid shit all the time. So, right. And, I mean, and I can blame, yeah. I can blame a good amount of things on my parents, right? Like based on seeing how things, they just didn't know what they, at the time or things just our culture has nothing to do with my parents being, you know, anything It's just the culture waste in and some of the traumas you experience. Yeah. And like, you know, so April in the um, chat says ancestral patterns. And I, I think that's probably a good way of marking them. You know, when you're trying to like, you, totally. you either are purposefully or impurposefully being exactly like your mother or your father or, you know, your grandmother, grandfather, like totally. you're probably carrying out some kind of cycle and it's probably this. Yes. Yeah, totally. No, it makes sense. That works also. I think a lot of it, again, there's some, well, especially with the texts, they're very archetypal and metaphorical and, and stories, right? Mm -hmm. So trying to connect the two. So if the sin, transgression, iniquity to practical dynamics and into to DNA. Um, so I think, so I personally think we have full, we should have full. We do have full. We just haven't realized it. I think, um, access to and control over and controls wrong word engagement with every part of our DNA. Okay. Right. So if, if uh, 80% of it, 80 plus percent is, is uh, what's called junk. They call it junk DNA because they don't see it actively. Don't believe in it, but uh, yes. 
Yes. Right. But that's the, <laughs> the reason the reason that they, they define it that way. They define it as um, DNA that's not encoding proteins. So they sure. don't in their their value system of measurement. They don't see it doing anything. Therefore, it's junk. OK, right. so but so how do we then in, internally in a meditation or whatever, go into that 80 percent and start finding things like start turning it on? Just find it. And turn how do it we on. do that, that paradigm? Well, visualizations we are great. How would you do what that? Do you Have visualize? You those, those before? I mean, I've done like some stuff down that line, uh, taking the models that we already have to talk about those kinds of things like DNA helixes and visualizing mm -hmm. on that, but just coming at it more kind of illogically of that this is what the stuff is supposed to look like and I want it to expand more than it is right now and focusing my energy in that direction. There's mm -hmm. So if we want to, I mean... Additional visualization added to that, I think, is probably all kind of like flair. You need some kind of symbol that holds the space of what it is that you're trying to really put your attention towards. And I usually just use something if we already have like a picture for it. You know what I mean? Might as well use that. That works just fine. And then just projecting the energy towards that, if you want to add some kind of specific visualizations of something happening, like you can flavor it up all you want but at the end of the day you know like it's really about eating eating the chicken it's not really about like what seasonings were put on it or what sides you served with it you know right, yeah, you, yeah. Need to, you need to symbolically represent the thing that is the the object of your attention and then project yeah. a lot of attention towards the thing with a lot of intention and then you get results pretty much yeah. so yeah, great way to sum it up. No, I totally agree. And like you said, um, you know, using an imagery that is already provided or something, it's already a shared common, common experience, the DNA helix, right? And I think, yeah, I think so much of just communicating, but especially if you're trying to help somebody with something, is finding metaphors that work for them and work for you, right? That yeah, you, you gotta can speak roll, to them in their symbol set. Yeah, oh, their symbol set. I like that. Yeah, totally. Yeah. I think that's a, like the most important part of communication, especially if you're trying to get across actually deep concepts. Uh, mm -hmm. Like uh, you can see it's pretty easy with numbers, you know, like if numbers start getting too big and I tell you, so, you know, it's like three, 300,000 football fields. Like you can't even like really properly put that picture in your mind. It doesn't mean, mean anything to you, you know, mm -hmm. but you have to get, it's like, if I say like, it's like the distance from here to the furthest observable star, that's actually better than saying like 300,000 football fields or whatever, because you're like, wow, it's so far, you know, but mm -hmm. we have to get some kind of symbol set that's really understood to you. And this is really just a, a obviously a broad generalization and being very vague about that, where you want to be more, even more precise with that. If you come from a Christian or an Islamic background, or you come from, I don't know, some type of witch doctor tribe, it's best that I talk in the way that you have already talked throughout your life. If I'm trying to get new concepts across to you. So totally. or even just try and get like my, my thoughts <laughs> across to you or anything. Right. Yeah, that's um to me. So the act of storytelling, right? That's one of the things that's sure. been lost with with just the written text, like even just the Quran or just the Torah or the Hebrew Torah or just the Christian Bible, mm -hmm. is that without the oral historians or the oral texts that have come with them, which they have, that's the Kabbalah, the the uh, the oral traditions that have been written down, that go into the actual like esoteric and uh, more metaphysical 
and philosophical takes on a lot of the scriptures in beautifully profound ways, like very abstract sure. and like really profound. Yeah. Um, but they also retell the Bible is very stories. interesting just from a philosophical standpoint. How so? What's your understanding of Kabbalah? Well, I mean, there's a lot of angles that a person can come at Kabbalah, but just on the philosophical level of kind of compartmentalizing the human and transhuman experience into spaces that feel like they're more operable. Uh, or if, I mean, if you want to go on another level, like if we want to go kind of more basic, like Kabbalistic tree of life is in one way of looking at is very definitely like a three path kind of thing. And I think by looking at the function of basically threefold systems, we can learn a lot philosophically just about the function of life. I mean, really like yeah. birth, life, death is functionally a threefold system that we're all living through. And by looking at philosophic, philosophical or any kind of metaphorical expressions of threefold systems, we can come more to learn more about the function of those threefold systems. So Kabbalah provides a good opportunity with this, with the, you know, the left and right and center paths. And there's, so really the thing, I mean, it's really endless. Like Kabbalah is a really, that's a big thing to say, right? There's a ton of correlations right. inside of that. Yeah, that's a good way to put it, though. That, uh, so for me, when I started looking into Kabbalah through the studying the Hebrew tradition stuff, and then it's kind of like astrology, in a sense, because of the tree of life, right? And that there are the sephirots and the ways to interpret those. And there's so many overlays and there's so many nuances. And like, um, and so uh, I remember drawing it out on a whiteboard and like studying the, the original Hebrew words and the original meanings. And um, the two primary from Keter, crown, as comes to the feminine and masculine, the hakma, and which is wisdom, and bina, which is understanding or bina. And, um, just that that paradigm alone just seeing the balance right the masculine feminine balance and wisdom and understanding uh -huh. and then the ways that that's elaborated the way that connects with numerology and gematria and within just even within the hebrew text like it's so multi-dimensional and expansive that's why i also understand you know christians or people who really dive into those original texts they could be there their whole lives and be totally satisfied and still learning and still growing in massively internally interdimensional places and that's where uh -huh. people think that you know, eventually you just get bored in there and you're just bound and like, no, you're really not, man. There, there really is a lot of massive expansion that someone could do for a whole lifetime and never get bored and be growing as a person in a massive way beyond just the basics. I'm talking about like metaphysical, physical, beautiful, esoteric ways. You're, say, you're saying just inside of Kabbalah. Yeah. Well, within Christianity, but all of it, when you get back into this and the deeper stuff. Yeah. Sure. You know, but that's if they want to choose to use that as their only like, this is what I believe. And it's the only yeah. thing I believe. This, this is, is the vehicle. Real. This yeah. is the vehicle. <laughs> uh, do it's you think the there's any benefit to choosing one vehicle or many vehicles? Is there is there a better way to do it, in your opinion? Dude, honestly, the more the better, man. The plus the, the belief system of the moment that matters, right? That lines up with your core value system in your life, whatever those are. And sure. your, your core pursuits, whatever metaphors and paradigms and archetypes and stories and whatever works for you, man. And the more you incorporate, the better to me, because one, there's more things for my psyche to bounce off of. I have more archetypes, I have more stories, I have more concepts to grasp what I'm feeling in a new way. Uh -huh. You know? Sure. Yeah, I mean, I find a lot of benefit from having more stories myself. But at the same time, I definitely have found certainly benefits from like really like hard focusing on one way of doing things. 
Yeah. But I don't think I've ever found a place where it was like, I mean, I guess I can honestly say I definitely have not because I haven't done one thing my whole life. There's all kinds of different things that I've switched around to, but I've never been able to stay just on the one thing. I've actually always kind of like questioned the, the other side of life in that way. Like, what would it have been like if, you know, I played uh, baseball a bunch when I was younger. What if I would have just taken like baseball, like so seriously and my whole life had gone where I played baseball the whole time and like, what would that have been like, you know? So right. I haven't done any one thing the whole time. I've always kind of followed that, like, next passion, get a, a lot of interest yeah, in yeah, that, yeah. draw connections between all of it. So I, I've never seen the other side of life where you do the same thing all the time. Yeah. Well, and I, and I did, um, I mean, I did that for a long time, you know. But, again, so the difference is I think it's, uh, there's a term, and Andrew Bartzis says this, um, the problem is when you have repetition without mm -hmm. illumination. Mm -hmm. So when you're sure. repeatedly doing anything, but it's not bringing new levels of joy or enjoyment right. or pleasure or, or understanding or healing or whatever. Then, yeah. then doing the same thing or, over and over and not getting anything out of it. You're functionally expending energy for no return. Right. And since being able to, so I, he, he's also said something I agree with um, a lot too, is that if you're not, if you're not doing it with joy in your heart, if you're not ha like doing it with joy, then you're doing it wrong. Ritual, ceremony, okay. meditation, whatever, yeah. you know, or at least balance, you know, it's not like you have to be super excited and joyful, but at, at a core level. Sure. You know, is, I'm, is joy super excited though? Or is joy something different? Well, so I think I, that's an expression of it. Right. But then if we're in a pair it down, joy, it's hard because it's English words. So like if you have a sense of, okay, maybe what's better to say based on my, my, perception of the paradigm um and, and the way it works for me is having a childlike wonder and awe about everything right so sure. the rituals aren't boring like whatever ritual you have you know lighting candles doing prayers doing whatever you do i make up placebo belief catalysts or rituals all the time on the moment as things just like okay here's something this just came together so i've got these magnets under here right these massive magnets and i've got uh, gold, silver, and palladium. I've got some other crystals and stuff I put in there. I've got a copper, one ounce copper um, coin on there. This is shungite. Mm -hmm. right, and here's got a sacred geometry overlay and then just the natural whole Fibonacci thing from the shell. I got this literally sitting underneath the computer right now. Uh -huh. um, but it's something I made just a while ago. Cause it, but as I was doing it, I was it was super exciting to me like to be creating it because sure. not just like it looks cool, but I understand the energy of it. And I, I can feel the energies I'm making by putting it together and putting my intentions right. into it. Like it's, a, it's wonderful. It's like, it's like childlike wonder and awe and joy and excitement to do whatever it is you're doing that it could seem weird or crazy. Like, why the hell am I sure. doing that? Like to me that has, I could, I go on for like half an hour about all the energetic dynamics of what that is to me and what I mm -hmm. feel it is actually doing in my environment and you know, whatever. But it's it's yeah. also something I just really giddy and childlike made in a moment and just like, oh, awesome, set it and go on with my day. But doing that stuff all throughout the day, like in my own uh, being aware of anything or perceiving anything. Sure. Yeah. Would you say that you try like you try your best to find as many opportunities as possible to be in that space then? hundred percent. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. I definitely think inside of that kind of passionate space, we accomplish more then we can accomplish it for not in that space. I don't think we can get maximum functionality out of ourselves unless we bring that passion. That's what I always right. refer to it. At least as passion. Like you have your heart's in it. You really want to do it. It's not just like 
this needs to get done. I'm going to take care of it. And I'm a responsible individual, but it's like, I really actually really want to do this. Right. Well, it's like, because I think people, sometimes people think they to the extreme of like, uh, well, you can't just have that all the time. You can't just be passionate and excited about what you're doing all day, every day. You can never get anything done or whatever. It's like, no, actually you'll get more done than you've ever thought you'd get done. Now, would you get your normal job done that you hate? Probably not, but you probably get a lot of things done and maybe sure. it's time to change jobs or find money from being passionate about the things you enjoy doing. Yeah. Yeah. I, I've always kind of like not really understood that. Like people have a job. And they say, oh, well, I can't quit my job. I need the money. It's like, right. I mean, well, you need the money. This isn't the only fucking job on the planet that you can get money from. You know that, right? Like, there's other stuff you could do. Maybe you wouldn't hate that. You know? Right. <laughs> I don't, I just don't understand what the mindset is of that. That, like, the, that whatever job they're in, that's the job specifically that they have to stay at. Yeah. I think part of it's, um, it's, what is it, the... Uh the sh- shitty situation you do know is better than the potentially even worse shitty situation you might be going into. I or mean, whatever, potentially even worse. Thinking. Like, what are you, some kind of quantum computer you crunch in Schrodinger <laughs> equations all the time, figuring out what the highest <laughs> probability movement into the gigantic quantum future is? Like, what yeah. do you mean? The potential shitty situation, the potential city shit shit, <laughs> or the potential shitty situation is that five seconds from now, the Yellowstone super caldera explodes and we're all fucking vaporized or like a comet comes ripping through the planet. Like that's the yeah, potential no worst case scenario. I don't care what you're doing with your life. That's going to affect you just slightly yeah, yeah, yeah. though. But like, you know, just a small effect in your life. But think, I, think it, about it, I just think, don't understand. Think about what- Think about it with belief systems and neural pathways too. So the more that you convince yourself, oh, I got to stay at this job till I earn X amount of money or till whatever, you know, whatever. You, the more you believe that, the more you're ingraining those neural pathways. So you're you're going to keep creating that reality. That then it becomes hard to just take that leap at some point. Instead of if you live your life more fluidically, having gratitude for the job that you're at while you're there, enjoying it, being a good employee, maximizing your ability to do that job well while you're enjoying it and learning shit and whatever. And when that joy leaves, then open your heart up to leave the job also. So you never get in a place where you spend years literally graining neural pathways that, well, this is just the way it is. Sure. Yeah, I think that's, I mean, do we... (laughs) <laughs> do do we do that with other things besides just like our work like what else do we do that with i mean do we do that with just because uh, this is just a psychology thing in the long run right like you choose to do yeah, yeah. the same monotonous thing over and over because you're just like whoa can't can't try and do the next thing like right so we do this everywhere right i mean we start we started this whole thing to, talking about like astral energies and things like this are there responses to astral energies that we do the same thing all the time because that fear response that we say is oh the energy is oppressive or i'm feeling disempowered or i'm feeling like it's like sucking the life out of me or whatever is maybe that response a fear response that we're actuating just because we feel more comfortable with that than the potential reality that could lay on the other side of going like oh actually this is just like more energy that i need to incorporate to my life it's more things for me to understand it's a novel energy yeah totally totally uh, (laughs) i think we need to look out for that then you know so, like, we, yeah. we started talking about astral energies and stuff. What do you do? You have daily practices that you keep that you feel like you keep your just for you know to keep it kind of simplified that you keep your space secure with. 
you know, or if yeah. you're feeling overwhelmed by energies, like top three list of things you do if you're feeling overwhelmed by energy, go. Um, so getting my feet on the ground, mm -hmm. right? Actual feet on the ground or in water or something to literally ground out and to neutralize my cerebral spinal fluid and the actual electrical system inside of my body. Okay, um, and how, how do you do that? Before we skip on the next one, that was a very intellectual answer. What does that mean? The, explain it to me like I'm five years old because I'm really actually only like six. So. All right. So, let me, so get your feet on. So you get your physical feet on the physical ground. Okay. Physical <laughs> so feet on the physical ground. Very important. Okay. Then yeah, don't put your no, physical no. feet on or your non-physical feet on the physical ground or vice versa. Yeah. Okay. But you, I think so. I know people can do it through meditation too. You can ground out. You can visualize grounding. I do all that stuff too. But I mean, when with like my body really is a place very mm -hmm. anxious, like it's more than just, it's, I can't just do med meditate this way or, you know, whatever. Knowing that sure. I can go do like a float tank session. Those also are massively healing and centering and like. Okay. Let's all, chill on the first one though. Like grounding. How do you do it? Yeah. How do you personally right. do it? So, um, when I when I go outside and get in the sun, part of it is looking at sun gazing, right? So looking at the sun now during the day, everybody's at different levels with this. I do believe that we have the ability to stare into the sun with our eyes open and it only heals and feeds our neurological system and all the cellular parts of our body. But how long have you been doing this and why are you not blind yet? Okay, so no, I don't do it with my <laughs> I do my eyes closed. That's what I'm saying. The goal, the goal is I know, I believe that to be like the place we'll get to. I know people who do do this with their eyes open. It doesn't hurt. It just doesn't hurt their eyes. It's not like they do it for hours, but when they go out and like, it's like soaking up the sun, drinking some water, you're drinking the sun, you're connecting sure. with your eyes closed. You're connecting um, that to into your, the photonic light, into your neurology, and especially if you can cross your eyes while your eyes are closed. There's things you can do that literally sends more light to different okay, parts so of your energetic system. You got to help me out here for a second. So when we talk about grounding, most people talk about things that are going into the ground. Yes. And you look at the sun. How does that work? Okay. So starts with the sun, but it's a cycle. So if it's okay. the father, the son, the mother, the earth, and I'm the son, the son of man, the son of the earth, the son of the two, it's a cycle, right? The three okay. Dantians, the, the trinity, but within us. So within you got so to connect to the sun first. Well, not necessarily okay. first, but you got to get connected. Yeah, to the no, just whatever. Yeah, yeah. <clears throat> I guess um, technically you so said you have to have your physical feet on the physical ground first. Okay, this is extreme situations, right? Because I don't always have to have my feet on the ground. I'll just be outside. That's fine. Shoes on, sure. fine. But I like to whenever okay. I can, you know, because it's not often you get your feet on the grass on the ground. That makes things more physiologically easier. Okay, so taking in the sun and then also being in the ground, it'll happen naturally if your feet are on the ground, but also with intention and meditation, cycling that energy, you know, so being able to um, contract your thing in the yoga, in yoga, it's the bindis or your perineum and the different places and actually cycle your cerebral spinal fluid and your bioelectric and your, your creation energy, sexual energy, all that stuff, literally cycling in your system. And then you're doing and if that. If anybody down. wants to understand that last sentence, just goes like study stuff for like 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> we, get, we'll have to do, we will do a show like just on that or whatever. We can get into some of those dynamics. Um, sure. Maybe next time. If you're if you're interested in hearing any more or making any sense out of the sentence that he just said, let us know in the comments, and we'll do a whole episode on one of those words. <laughs> really, was it that bad? It's a lot of words. It's I mean, like I understand what you're saying, but yeah, I yeah. I don't think probably a, a normal person would have caught all of them. You know, so but what we're really right. saying here is that you want to connect yourself with kind of your lower and you want to connect yourself with your upper and you want to cycle that energy with intention through those spaces. 
right? And we're, we're not dumping it out somewhere. We're actually like cycling it. Do you pull it from the top? You bring it down. Do you pull it from the bottom? You bring it up. Do you do both? Like, how does that work? Yeah, totally. So I think, okay. So setting the frameworks, try to use less words here, more general, because what you did was really good. Um, <laughs> the framework we just said in those spaces, then it's like, do whatever you want, man, do what you feel is right for you. They always morph and meditate. So like putting those frameworks in place is kind of the daily dynamics or daily things. But then from within that space, anything happened, who knows, man, stuff comes out of nowhere, like, you know, just all sorts of stuff, positive or just whatever. Sure. So the you, when when you're dealing with energy, do you bother delineating between positive and negative energies? Um, delineating, just being aware and sifting through, totally. I mean, but I don't I don't classify it as positive. The or way negative. that you, just... I guess, what I'm really asking is uh, the way that you deal with an energy is it functionally different for positive influences versus negative influences, or is it the same for both? The, look, if I can have a dialogue with any kind of energy dialogue even just in feeling and energy and movement in the sure. environment whatever right or actual okay. dialogue telepathic or internal dialogue if they respect my space and like we can talk and whatever that means mm-hmm. if they're willing to negotiate and have some basic levels of uh going to call it uh um energetic decorum right sure. or whatever civility. Like, yeah some civility then cool man then it's like eating anybody else who's engaging you then there's whatever dialogue it is so not all things are just bad or good like you know that's one percent and one percent 98 percent of the universe is pretty gray somewhere in between sure. and there's a lot of things that we don't we don't understand what we're looking into and if we just immediately oh it's sure. bad because i you know like so so holding that sacred neutral space if you will to engage mm-hmm. and and discover and ask questions and just why wouldn't we they're in our environment they're in our awareness and, why would in, in a certain way the energy cycling that you're talking about is about kind of bringing everything to a neutral right like we're connecting to the above we're connecting to the below we're cycling it through all of that to kind of try and balance the energies throughout the entirety of the system right that's kind of right. the goal yeah okay so finding your internal i've personally experienced like issues anytime i'm at like any specific one too much you know, if I'm too much yeah. about my materialistic reality, you know, maybe a problem. Too much about my psychological reality, any, you know, too much of a problem too. You know, and I find it the same with moving the energy around too. That we want to be, we want to equalize ourselves. It always seems to be about equalizing in order to maximize. Yeah, or balancing, or bringing coherence. Right? You talked about before. Sure. Yeah. And actually, real quick, I want to go back to a comment that was there earlier where it was said that the people focus more on their insecurities rather than focusing on what makes them happy. But most don't know what makes them happy. And I think actually in in an interesting way, this still kind of correlates there that like we probably if we're not really balancing the energies properly, do we actually are we actually focusing properly or might just like what we think that we need in the way that we think we need to go about it be kind of a, a further over overindulgence with a certain format of ourselves yeah that makes sense so do you think that it is it like how does a person figure out what makes them happy if they don't know what makes them happy so it's interesting um teal swan said i think i mean she may not have been the first one to say it but uh, she's the one that stuck out with me a few years ago uh that you can't feel something you've never felt before true yeah, so, I like this thing. Yeah, so you can't, if you don't know, 
you got to go try shit, man. You got to meet new people. You got to think new thoughts, watch different shows, go hang out with different people, like go do things and you'll find places inside of you that you find deep childlike joy, happiness, wonder and follow those paths, you know? Sure. Yeah. I think this comes back to earlier. We were talking about people's kind of like a, a, well, lack of engagement with the unknown or the novel, how they're, how they're sometimes afraid of that or they sometimes want to avoid it. I think a lot of times this leads to a situation where since they haven't tried new things and they kind of opted for whatever they we can call them creature comforts that they've established inside of their life, they oftentimes think like, well, I don't really know what makes me happy anymore. It's like, well, I mean, the shit that used to make you happy is now normalized and that stuff's all just like your standard day-to-day life and you never added any new shit. So nothing makes you happy now, basically. Mm-hmm. So, you just got to add some new shit. Yeah, and it's like, well, okay, I'll go buy more things. It's like, well, okay, but that's fine. But have you well, done maybe that? Well, maybe not. Maybe not always just buy more things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but the, well, it's really, it's really how you, um, it's really how you spend money, right? So I, uh, I mean, are you investing in a new toy that'll you know make you happy for a while, whatever that means to you? And that's fine. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, but if you're looking for something that's going to create or give you a tool to find your own happiness again at different times, like there's so many things to invest in, right? All sorts of different, I mean, we're finally in the age, I guess you got people like you and me even, let alone, you know, dozens, hundreds, thousands of other people within local groups and stuff that are, that are offering services and, and, um, materials and, uh, teachings and things that can really get your own motor started going for your own self-cycling and finding your own joy. Sure. And I mean, you talk about local groups and I mean, like we're on a podcast right now. You have YouTube channels like, I mean, in the comments below, like drop things that make you happy. And like if other people are psyched on that stuff or new stuff that you want to look into, you never know. There might be somebody that already knows everything about it or they all kinds of stuff. You get massive improvement like that. Like utilize like this is one thing that I see that it's weird. Like so many people like sit there and scroll social media, but oddly people aren't actually that social on social media, you know? Mm. Like even when yeah, they yeah. comment on shit, it's like it's like some emoticons or whatever, or like yeah, yeah. whatever they dropped. It's like their opinion, the engagement, the interaction that actually takes place inside of social media on standard is very very low, and I think it's actually kind of ridiculous because through the internet just alone, so many opportunities to try new things through social media, so many opportunities to meet new people that are interested in literally whatever you want to be interested in. I don't care if right. you like, you know, like putting cats on top of buckets and wearing them as hats. There's probably a group for it. It's like, it's right. so weird. There's something for everything, but we like reserve ourselves to basically pretending that we can't find anybody who likes the thing that we're interested in or that we don't know anyone or we can't try new things because we don't know anyone, don't know where to go. Like all the information's right out there and probably a whole bunch of people who do it not too far from you. So like, right. it, I feel like when people don't really know what makes them happy, like if I'm going to be blunt about it, I feel like they just haven't really looked. Like, yeah. well, I mean, go, like, you, like you said before, go try life. shit. Go try shit. Right. Right. That's a, and I, Jordan Peterson talks about it. It's a uh, psychologist, um, practicing psychologist and uh, professor, I think, too, psychology. Um, but when you when you put yourself in new environments and stimulate new thought process, new thought patterns, or having to process new information because of a new environment or new activity, then you're literally causing epigenetic expression activation in your DNA. You're turning on literally you just by mm-hmm. trying things. Sure. You know, yeah, I mean, that, that makes sense. That. How, how yeah. else are you going to find out, like, who you are? 
if you're sitting like, like I, I've always thought it was funny. Like there's all these kinds of like meditation, like transcendental mm -hmm. meditation. A lot of people got into that really dramatically at one point in time and kind of like my sphere. And I saw like a lot of these people were taking on a meditative practice of sitting there and asking themselves who they were. But then they did the same exact thing every day in their real life. It's like what you're, you're not actually exploring to find who you are. You're just like you're, you're doing. I mean, I get it for like you know, getting outside of yourself, transcendental meditation kind of thing. But isn't it yeah. kind of weird to like ask yourself the question in meditation every night, who am I? And then do the same thing every day and have no idea who you really are. <laughs> right. Is that, so is that what, um, so I've, I, you're saying that's transcendental meditation? They teach that? If, if you wanted like really, really simplified transcendental meditation where there's all kinds of nuance you could bring into it, like any other thing, yeah. trans, what, what are you transcending, right? We all know what meditation is. That's like sitting down yeah. and doing something with your thoughts or your mind space. Yeah, yeah. Tran what are, so what are we transcending? The whole concept of transcendental meditation is to constantly transcend like whatever the identity was. So right now I'm Zach sitting in a chair, but like, I know that because I'm something more than that. So what am I really, you know? Yeah. And then, so that thing, it, it, you'll come to find that you progressively always can recognize that you're observing the thing. So what are you that's observing the thing that you're observing, right? Because you're right. always able to make an observation about your space. Transcendental meditation challenges a person to just continually push their mind to do that in an attempt to basically expand their awareness of themselves. There's a whole lot of other formats of these that are just like more illogical, but the simplest yeah, yeah. form is literally just continually asking like, what am I? No, what am I really? No, what am I really? No, what am I really? You know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And really just done like that simple for a long enough time, if nothing else, you'll get like the Zen Cohen benefit out of it, which is mm -hmm. just like that you'll get so frustrated with trying to figure out what the hell that you hell you are. Like maybe you'll have that moment of clarity where you're like, oh, shit, I get it. You know, <laughs> like that's what a Zen Cohen's right. for anyways. Like, you know, the, the, the tree fell in the forest. Is anyone around to hear it? Like, did it make a sound? you're not supposed to answer this question. You're supposed to get very frustrated with the fact that the Zen master keeps on coming over and hitting you in the head with a stick when you say that you have the answer. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, interesting. So, <laughs> anyways, I, so I wanted to get back to, we, we were trying to make a list. Like, what are things, actionable things that somebody can actually do? We talked about the grounding and kind of took a spin on that with connecting to the sun as well, when you feel that you do have a lot of energy in your space, whether it feels oppressive or not, like what do you do in the moment to make sure that you're still making a good choice for yourself? Uh, example? Well, I mean, like if you were to ask me the exact same question, I would have like, I probably would go first and foremost with it. Like I take a moment to breathe, right? Like I give myself a second to actually like, okay, if, if, if I'm, like, in the ocean, I'm getting thrashed around by the waves, and I constantly keep kicking and flailing all of my limbs, I don't really know which direction I'm getting turned around. But if I stop doing all of that, then I'm at least minimizing the movement to whatever the ocean is doing to me. And that gives me some chance of kind of, like, finding a center. So if I ever feel yeah. like I'm getting kind of tossed around in any way or that there's a, a lot of energy or there's an oppressive energy or the energy feels bad or, I mean, sometimes I even with the energy feels good. 
you know, uh, still, right. even then, I give myself basically through breath a moment to make sure that I know what the center is so that yeah. I'm not like, so that I can start making the right choice to move forward with that. So primarily for me, it's literally like just in my head, it's like breathe, you know, oh yeah. shit, it's crazy. Oh, breathe. And then I actually yeah. consciously take a breath and kind yeah. of not through purpose, but rather through function that gives me a moment where like, I'm not thrashing around. So I get yeah, to have totally. a look at it and it, so, it's real, real accessible. Yeah. So same thing. So it's breathing for me, for sure. Um, especially if I can. Uh, so yeah, the first thing breathing, um, and then I do uh, breathing through the nose because 35 things happen in your body when you're breathing through your nose that don't happen when you're breathing through your mouth. Tongue it through your mouth because it completes the actual circuit in your body. 35 things happen when you breathe in through your nose that don't happen when you breathe in through your mouth. That's a thing? Yep. Yeah, are you Googling it? Yeah, there's a couple talks on it, TED Talks and stuff. Um, uh, and then, uh, shit, what was I saying before that? Uh, oh, and then deep diaphragmatic breathing, right? So being able to actually push out, pu- push your diaphragm down, fill up your lower lungs and then your upper lungs and all of it, and then breathing it out through the mouth or whatever. There's a lot of techniques with that, but the f- physiological aspects, I try to fill up as much oxygen as possible. And then also exhaling, exhaling while making a sound until you can't make a sound anymore because it gets to the lower gases out of the bottom of the lungs and taking another big breath in and just that, like you said, like a, it's an action or a, an action taken that helps to reset the physiological vessel. And in the meantime, your mind is obviously active where, so then what are you focusing on? Sometimes you can just focus on your breath. It helps put then whatever else is stressing you out aside for just a second. So you can center and bring that to your body. Mm-hmm. And then um, I'm trying to think what was a, a third one. We're going to talk about a third one or something, right? Well, that, uh, earlier I was making a three-part list, but we, we then had one thing that you could do really that you was like a daily, you could say as a daily practice, like kind of yeah, a, con- yeah. but it sounded for you like it's kind of more a connection you keep all the time. You try to kind of keep a connection with the idea of the sun and the idea of being yeah. connected with the earth or you could call it above and below or whatever right. all the time. So it's almost, yeah, because I would say it's, got, it's like gotten to a point where it's just, it's never present connection. You know, I'm never not connected to the earth and the sun. Now it's a, it's a bonus and it adds additional layers of alignment and cleansing when I actually get in the sun and different dynamics. But that connection has just been over years, more and more ever present. It's just, I'm here, I'm on earth. I'm a son of mother earth and father, son, whatever that means, metaphorically, energetically, and I'm in my own vessel sure. in the system, archetypally. Sure. And so, and I'm, I'm in this body and quantum physics and all these dynamics and uh, hermeneutics or hermetics, like all this stuff, it's, you know, I create my reality. So what reality do I want to sit in internally every day? Do I want to deal with my issues? So I'm not sitting in any way, shape or form in bitterness or jealousy or rage or sadness or depression. And when I that do to honor the sitting right. in those places, <laughs> not sitting in them, right. But to be able to acknowledge them, honor them for the val- valid feelings that they are for whatever reason, work through those energies or those cycles, and whatever, and there's millions of nuanced ways, but just mm-hmm. being intentional to address them, to feel them, allow them. I really do believe in a saying, um, uh, I allow everything that everything, I feel everything until it no longer needs to be felt. Mm-hmm. So being fully present with mm-hmm. it. And if you, you know, it's not going to, and I guess how do you know when like, it no longer needs to be felt? 
Right. And so sometimes I think through somatic release, sometimes through just uh, just awareness. I think sometimes even making that. So I've, I've done that. I've made that declaration to parts of myself, my own internal dissociated parts or traumatized parts or fractals or things over life that get separated from a coherent one singular self. Um, but making that coming up, envisioning myself, right, coming up to that version of me, whatever age or whatever dynamic and making that offer to them. To, to be able to like come come integrate in a sense and allow you to feel in my body because it's yours too everything that you need to feel because you deserve to feel like you felt that way and you got literally dissociated so mm-hmm. honoring that part of myself to come literally I- i'm choosing to submit to potentially shitty feelings because this part of me needs to feel that way it needs to be okay to feel that way and then move it on sure yeah it's in case so everybody knows like when you say somatic release, what do you mean? Um, Some people do not know what this word means. Yeah, yeah. So I, I actually have to look up the definition again specifically, but it refers Let's to the general... Let's get the specific definition. Like, because I'm literally sitting in the same place as you. It's a word that I use, yeah. but I don't actually know what it means. So somatic means relating to the body, especially as distinct from the mind. So you're saying that there's actually like a bodily release Cool. Like, a, like yeah, a, that, an actually bodily response. Yeah, yeah. That definition just made it so much better. That's great. Um, so yeah, so I know even yoga positions, certain things where people can just start crying, right? They're connected mm-hmm. to their heart or whatever. That you know, not even any yeah. visualization. It's just a physical action. Yoga positions and. Um, uh, but anyway, but yeah, with uh, yeah, I, wrote, I wrote an Instagram post earlier today where I was like really connecting with my inner child, and like all of a sudden, in the middle of it, I just start crying and shit. Like, it was yeah, so weird. Right. Like, I, 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 it, was, it was so, like, it, it didn't even, like, it wasn't, like, getting emotional, and then it led up. It was just, like, I'm writing, I'm writing, I'm writing, I'm crying. Like, what happened right now? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Beautiful. Yeah, see that? Okay, so, yeah, that's interesting, because that's, like, psychosomatic release, maybe? Because your mind is involved. You call me a psycho, man? A little bit. We're all psycho. It's the only way to live. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, Cause that, so like I had a really cool experience, you'll see, not this past December, but the December before, and I was writing a birthday card to my mom and this is, this is tying in from the somatic dynamic, but it's also just a cool story. Um, and, uh, I was just thanking her, you know, for being my mom that, you know, just whatever got started, get into it. And I, I started writing and remembering as I was writing, the memories were coming back to me of a being in the womb. And a feeling that there was, uh, I remember feeling in the womb, like regretting it, regretting being here because I could feel the energetic reality around me, not just my parents, like where the world is at, all of it, right? Like I'm not, like people do not understand how much babies can understand, right? Because sure. <laughs> it's, it's the womb that, that will wipe the memories in a lot of ways. So there's a lot of, I think we can t- tap back in through conscious awareness and engagement with our own focus of awareness meditations into wombs and the memories in the womb that we can actually have them. Now, how do you know if it's a memory? Cause I always wanted to know before this, this thing happened to me, um, like how can you tell if it's a memory and not just a thought that feels really like legitimate, you know what I mean? Sure. Like it's probable. And I, until this experience, I wouldn't have known because I've heard other people share memories from wombs or do things, but they didn't really exp- explain internally how they differentiate. And so for me, I remember as I was writing this, it was different than normally when I have a thought, a lot of times I feel it coming from somewhere, somewhere, right? Um, But when I have, this memory came up, I literally felt my heart get warm, 
like in my chest, my whole chest warmed up and it moved up into my mind and I began to write it out. And I, but it wasn't like oh, channeling. Wow. It was just like, just like remembering a memory and writing it down. But it was, I literally felt it come from my heart and up to my mind. And so I was writing out, um, you know, that, uh, I was ready to like miscarriage myself. Like, I can't do this. I can't do this again. This is just the traumas I knew. Like, even the one I shared, this is work synchronistically because the experience I shared earlier, the birth trauma. Like, I knew yeah. in a lot of ways that kind of thing was coming. Mm. Um, and then, but then in that moment, though, I felt this incredible love from my mother's heart just enwrap my heart as a baby. And I knew that if if someone could love me like that, that I'd be okay. You know? And... Um, so I wrote that down for my mom, you know, like this is, I remember this, you know, my mom, I explained it to her too. And so she, you know, at the very least things is very poetic and beautiful, but I think she believes that I remember it, you know, it's just not, I don't mm-hmm. think a lot of people have experiences like that of remembering things from in the womb, you know, as I was writing that out, yeah, as I was writing that out, I was crying and like, it was so beautiful to me, like childlike and just beautiful. Cause I've been wanting to remember memories from the womb for a while. I'd done a lot of meditations and things hadn't necessarily had memories, but I put it into my vortex, if you will. And, and then it came around in the synchronistic moment as I'm pouring out my heart to my mom, shit, this memory comes up you know, it's yeah. beautiful. You, you used the verbiage, put it into my vortex. We've talked about, that's it, like dealing with energy and stuff, but you say, put it into my vortex. I assume you're insinuating some way of attracting something to you. Is that what you mean? Yeah. So like, okay, we we're talking about earlier too, like different paradigms and archetypes and how many should you have and it's different for everybody. And, um, the nice thing about knowing, like I think the vort- to put in the vortex paradigm is Abraham Hicks, or at least one of the most popular uses of it. And I've never really used that terminology a lot. It's just recently in the last few weeks or something, it, it's it's just been relevant and it fits. And it fits mm-hmm. for, the, for what I'm doing consciously or engaging. So putting in the vortex is setting your intentions. It's what you focus on. It's if your feelings are the prayer, your feelings are the loose generator, the, the energy generator for... Um, uh, well, actually, put, I guess we can put it this way, too. Joe Dispenza says that thoughts are electric and they go out, right? That that feelings are magnetic. They pull in. So it's one thing to think we want positive things and to, to put them on a list and do all this stuff. But if you do a vision board or whatever, the point is you want the vision board. Who cares what words are on their images? You need to, when you see it, feel inside of you what you mm-hmm. want from those things, right? It's not just about yeah. the magic of the words, because that's that yeah. that can work, but that takes a whole lot longer. Like you know, you, you like you know, I think with hypnagogic states, you can get there a hundred times faster, because you're allowing that the words to actually mesh into your subconscious and your the feeling and sensation in your body. And a lot of the good visual, good guided visualization stuff, will do it in that way that you feel what what's being visualized yeah. you know, in a way that causes a feeling inside of you, because the feeling is actually what magnetizes your reality. So anytime that like me and Frank were talking about. Um, He's coming out here to do fire and some uh, uh, ayahuasca ceremonies and stuff sometime coming up here soon. And we're getting really excited about it, tuning into the dynamics him and I are going to have around the fire. He's grown up in the Bronx, so he's never been around fires, right? And I've been around a lot of them, especially this last year. And I'm a fire sign mm-hmm. and like interdimensionally understanding dynamics. I know I just had would have visions and awarenesses of when he's there and we're there together, how it's going to go, right? And just awesome. Cool. So we're talking about that and like he's thinking about his schedule and it feels right. And so we're getting excited about it. So as I'm like, so as we're coming to a culmination point of like uh, climaxing on just the excitement about it, we just even constantly engage, go, all right, bam, put that shit in the vortex, all that feeling, all that excitement, creating that, that reality, throw it into our vortex or our, our personal vortexes of the, 
the potential quantum realities that are could anchor in. So, so functionally, anything that we're kind of feeling that we want in the future, that's what putting it in the vortex is to you. Yeah, I think at the base level, the feelings are the engine. And so whatever thoughts or metaphors or visualizations you have to get you to the feeling signature in the body, I think, and this is I've been thinking about this a lot lately, I think that's mainly, I think that's really what it's all about. That's why the words don't matter. That's why having the right words, the right metaphors for the right people for what? To make them feel something in their body. And you can't feel something you've mm -hmm. never felt before. So if you can use words and images and metaphors for someone in their own body to go along a story to then yeah. feel some form of excitement or joy or like healing through the story you told, they feel it in their body because you told them a story. Amazing. Sure. Yeah, and Terrence McKenna used to say there's no replacement for direct experience. And maybe that's exactly why. Like without the direct experience, you can't really have the feeling, perhaps. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, yeah. So, um, so we should, we, we should keep this underneath two hours. We could sit here and talk about things all night, but so yeah. like to ensure that we like astral, the energies that are around right now that people might be having a difficult time with, maybe they came here to hear specifically about that. And what would you say to them to, to deal with the energies they feel right now, whatever it is that they are feeling? <clears throat> um, all right. So no matter what we're practicing or what we're doing or what's going on in the world around us, like we got to find, you got to find ways to come into self, whatever that means to you. Right. Cause no matter what, no matter if you're married, you're in a family, you have kids, you know, every night when you lay down to go to sleep, even if kids sleeping on you, you're, you're alone in your own mind. It's all you. Well, unless you're connected interdimensionally telepathically and whatever, but at a core level, it's still you. It's your own, it's you by you. So like, like one of my favorite things to do, um on entheogens mushrooms or other dynamics is lo looking in the mirror right to me it's beautiful to see the the shifting and the melting because i allow my psyche to make whatever connections it needs to make but i but what i see is me right uh -huh. i see layers of me waves of me sometimes i see other things at different times but a lot of it's me and seeing a, an appreciation for me this body this this incarnation whether it's the only one I've ever had, because I couldn't prove I've had other lives, right? Or if it's, you know, one of many, many, you know, millions. Sure. But it, being able to, to fall in love with this one and the soul that's inside of me, but also me, like the little self, the little personality, Aaron Michael Kessler, right? And the way he is and the things he likes and the the shows he likes or the thing, you know, the things that, that just matter because of how I grew up and they seem to bring me joy and excitement and happiness and just loving who I am as a person and you know, even with the flaws and whatever, really finding joy in who I am as we're all growing and learning. So I think to, no matter what's going on in the world, anytime, like the, we can increase that at a base level. If we have that joy and really do enjoy ourselves, we can look in the mirror and smile, you know, like sure. you're good. I don't think much in life's going to get you down, really. I think it's it's pretty simple. Sure. I mean, but do you, what what would you say to someone that feels like, you know, right now, their, their life is down you know how, how do, right, right. do they do you think they can look in the mirror and come to themselves as well and if so how do they do that <clears throat> um yeah good question okay so because there's just so many it's infinitely nuanced so trying new things we were talking about earlier right trying new things try looking in the mirror trying saying things in the mirror like i've got i've gotten beyond i guess i mean i guess i could see how some people still would think it's ridiculous to look in the mirror and say say things to yourself in the mirror. Like I just kind of got over sure. that a long time ago, you know. 
but it so, if, so part of it's getting over the things you, that you feel are awkward you know the more you can do things new things and then then and that's just that's normal things are awkward uh-huh. at first but the more you do them they become less awkward so now i do it without thinking you know and it could be seen as like narcissistic but it's uh-huh. it's not it's done from a very pure place of like loving myself or honoring myself i don't do it every day it's not like a ritual but when, when i do that when i stop in the mirror i try to engage myself in the mirror every time i see a mirror you know, so little habits are like, um, I think another one posted nor posted notes on door door frames. So every time you walk through a door frame, reminding you to take a breath, stand up straight, and just center yourself before you walk through a door, which is a great way to present yourself in any room you walk into and whatever. But it's a good reminder. So like, the, a lot of the little practices. So even if people are feeling really down, it's it's where sometimes you do the you do the actions until the feelings follow. Uh-huh. Not just because it feels good, you know. Sometimes, if you know that doing these practices will bring you physically feeling better, then you have to find a way to engage our ego and coax our ego into doing the things practically we need to do because we know it'll bring us to an emotional place. Or trying to commit to certain things as we're discovering what will do that for us. Certainly, yeah. So the the is there anything that you like purposely say to yourself? when you do like the mirror looking process or is it more of just kind of like a gazing thing and allowing whatever comes up to come up? Okay. Let me see if I can pull this up on here actually. Oh uh, yeah. Dude, Joe says that the best way to do it is just mushrooms, which is also true in some cases. <laughs> why, why, I'm going to pull up a picture real quick to answer your question. Why don't you um, give an example of that mushrooms being good in some cases or for looking in the mirror? Well, even I mean, functionally, all of the all of the studies that have gone towards mushrooms right now show that we're they're working very good for resetting our brain chemistry and allowing ourselves to feel things that we haven't felt before, and allowing us. I mean, because the evidence of the experimentation is endless at this point in time. From my own personal experience with mushrooms, I've certainly had a, psychedelic mushrooms and especially large dosages. Definitely a large array of emotional experiences, especially as it pertains to unwinding my own psychology through basically a visual metaphor that like I always end up in like large dose. I'm, I'm laying somewhere with my eyes closed. Like that's, that ends up regardless of what I was set, telling myself I was going to do. So <laughs> laying there with my eyes closed, I definitely have had a lot of visual dreamlike almost experiences a lot of the times where just having symbolic projections of the way that I approach a, a certain kind of situation but the way that it plays out is not like the way that I normally approach it. And it allows me to feel that feel a feel a feeling that is generated by going through a situation that I have gone through many times before in a way that I have never gone through it, which definitely I have found for me, like again, when we talked earlier about having more perspectives, better, more emotional perspectives that I feel like I have memory of going through any mm-hmm. situation the easier i feel it is to basically stay objective on that situation so like the the first time that i broke up with a girl i like thought it was supposed to be very traumatic it was all these things that went very much so like that um then you know as i got older i had separations where i like i knew that i didn't want to do that to myself 
I ended up getting memories of relationships where when it split off, it actually did become more of like a friendly thing. And it was like, okay, I understand why you want to go that way or I want to go this way. And now like, that's kind of like the, it's more like the standard in my mind. If it was to be like a really like harsh, psychologically demanding and really rough breakup, like I, I wouldn't even know what to do with myself. I can't even imagine myself getting in a relationship with somebody that that would happen with. But this yeah. really all in many ways comes from going and this like this wasn't mushrooms in this case but it's the same facet playing out that mushrooms can do in like a smaller time frame through a visual experience that you're having inside of your own psyche where you through having a new experience that allows you to feel that place differently the normalization of what that situation should be like going forward i think like kind of broadens or can tune to new places where you just feel like this should feel some other way or has the potential to feel these other ways. And so I'm going to choose those ways or a deviation towards those ways over kind of the habituated ways that I've always had this feel. Yeah, totally. Really long winded answer, but like, yeah, mushrooms are good for that, but that's also just like, I think what we need to do period, why the novel experience plays in, why it's important to try new things, why it's important to try old things, new ways, Like all you're doing is generating novelty. It doesn't actually have to be a new thing. Like you could go to work at the same place every day and always take a novel path there. And that would probably benefit you more than taking the exact same way all the time. Yeah. But even if you take the exact same way all the time, you could just appreciate the novelty that there's a whole bunch of different shit every single time that you go the same way. You know, what what are we trying to find here? So did you, you had a picture that you were going to bring up? Yeah, yeah, let's see if I can pull that up. Uh, let's see, share screen. There we go. Oh, it automatically shot us over. That's good. All right, so that uh, that picture was taken uh, after, or, or well, at the tail end of a mushroom experience, looking in the mirror, and I was so happy with myself. <laughs> Like just, just at peace and at rest. And so, I don't know, whatever you pick up from that picture. But I just remember it. Like I just, when I look at I have that, I have that, my brother knows that this weekend, he just like, you know, if I was a little narcissistic, whatever, I had that as a lock screen on my phone. Mm-hmm. Because it just, like when I see that, it immediately puts me, it reminds me of that place. So it helps me to find resonance with it right now during an average day, even though it was a past experience. Sure. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I think it's interesting. There's some cultures out there that believe like if you take a picture of them, you're like you're stealing like a little piece of their soul or whatever. And like, I don't necessarily think that it's all that dramatic, but I think definitely you can capture a moment in time through photography. And I think there really is the ability to kind of, well, I've found like from posing for pictures and then also like I've done a ton of photography myself the energy that the person has that the, the photograph is being taken of and like their engagement with and willingness with the camera and the really just like how they feel is really something that's captured in the image in all kinds of these really nuanced ways, or maybe even what somebody might say as an energetic way. So, right. No, a hundred percent. Like really. So it's like, I mean, you think about it too. I know there's, um, psychics who do this today and i say psychics but some of these are just normal people this is just the way they understand energy medicine they wouldn't they would never even use the term psychic sure. but if they have a picture of you um 
then they can connect to and get the information they need, you know, from, from the yeah. picture. It's like having, I mean, in ancient, you know, times witchcraft stuff, but it's true today. It's DNA skin suit technology, needing a piece of hair or blood or some fluid or whatever. Well, I think which, it, I feel like it always, it always helps you to find someone if you know what they look like, you know? Totally. So yeah. It's helpful to have a picture but, of the thing that you're trying to work on. Yeah, well, I guess imagine the more senses, the more you've had encounters with someone in this life in whatever viscerally sensual way, the easier it is to tune back into them at any point in the future. Certainly. Yeah. Yeah, which makes I sense. Mean, the, the, more, the more memories or more uh, energetic fluctuations that we've shared with another person, I think the, the easier it is to kind of find those same, those same spaces again. You know, when we're in, interacting in a space, and that space is really having some type of energetic happening, which is an experience we're both sharing, then we mm -hmm. definitely do create some type of, I guess you could call it an energetic imprint on one another that it might just be a memory of what their energy was, but it does, or your energy, it can be your own energy if you're looking in the mirror and you can actually literally like kind of imprint onto you a, a position that you can you you generate a space that isolates itself really whatever way that you want to isolate it if you're doing the mirror thing because you can think right. whatever you want about yourself like if you're super if you hate yourself and you talk a bunch of shit about yourself and you look in the mirror while you do it it has a bad effect it really yeah, does no doubt so yeah so mindset so i mean that, that's yeah that's interesting too it's just a lot of mindset or that let the integrative work i guess guess you will so when the antigen experiences come they're more beautiful and healing and enjoyable than they are, you know, dealing with traumas or dealing with like, you know, shitty habits that you just refuse to let go to. So that Absolutely. the more I've had, like the more I've had, that's why I've done so many in so many different ways uh, because it's like building a relationship with them, you know, the, with the entity, if you will, or the, the, the feeling of the physio physiological feeling of that in your body and how that reacts to your psyche and your physiological dynamic. But it develops a relationship, you know? So it's like, uh, yeah, anyway, it's good. It's good stuff. <laughs> All right. Well, we are at one hour and 56 minutes, and we should cut out of here for the night. Uh, Aaron, if you have, like, you can find all of our social media stuff in the contact info below. We will be on here. We do not have a specific time right now, but you should expect to be able to find us on here every night. You can follow the social media. You can find it linked all the time and everything like that. If you have any questions about anything that's talked about on the show, Go ahead and leave it in the comments. I will definitely be watching the comments and we will put any answers in there or maybe we'll talk about it in a future show. But anybody who came and check us out, we really appreciate it. Don't forget to like and subscribe and everything on this. And Aaron, do you have anything that you want to share that right before we go? Yeah, that's good. So we're uh, we're trying something new. This is the first episode. Looking to do this uh, just about every night, I think, for the next uh, I don't know, couple weeks. We'll see how that we'll see how that goes, man. So many people want to tune in, just hear us chat about stuff. But uh, yeah, participate in the comments. That's awesome. We've got the thanks, Frank Castle. We got the Streamyard thing. He's got that on his. He showed me how to use that dynamic. So we've got that going. There's a way to interact with comments and people to have conversations uh nothing's off topic whatever you want to talk about i mean obviously we can choose to address your comment or not but there's nothing uh really off topic just don't be an asshole and uh actually if you do that means other people but we can always moderate that too anyway <laughs> it'll be good time you can be an so asshole to us just don't be an asshole to other people we're fine we, there we, we can go. make it just that, fine that's cool. <laughs> yeah go ahead and do it do a test that actually adds stuff that's fun to play with so uh yeah we'll, we'll be back on tomorrow night all right, we will see you guys tomorrow night. We do not have a time right now, but 
You'll just have to find out later. (laughs) Sounds good. All right. Take care, everybody. Have a good night. You too. Bye-bye.